This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. You are ready for another day? Mmm. We got an interesting show for you today. <laughs> oh boy, never a dull moment. Um, I, I really one of these days we, we, I want to do an entire show, ne- an entire day, let's say, never mentioning the presidential election. You can't. I'm going to do it in about forty-three days. I think I've got like nine stories here that all go right back to that. Ah, oh, brother. Gary Johnson did some stuff yesterday. Yeah. Another paper endorsed Hillary that normally doesn't go Democrat. It's weird. I wonder why all the papers are they, going they Hillary. They got death threats because of it. Did they really? Yeah. Sheesh. We'll get to that, of course, a little Trump date and uh, Hillary Clinton date. Not a gate, a date uh, update. And then also today we're going to be talking about Zika, the Zika virus. It had a hard time getting funding um, behind some of the preventative measures to stop Zika, there was a big congressional kind of logjam. Yeah. It got fixed yesterday, but we will be speaking to um, a researcher or a uh, an academic that, that spends a lot of time watching the virus and how the government's handling the virus, which is important because we don't have a lot of like major viruses coming through no. that need funding. But we don't really have anything to fight Zika. Right. And so we need funding so we can, like, start research and start mm-hmm. – and they're doing it, but they need to I think there's like the 18,000 Americans. Anyway, we'll get into it. Yeah. With uh, – that have been infected or – I mean, I know 18,000, I think, in, like, Puerto Rico alone. Right. But uh, I, this is important to me because I'm going to Costa Rica. Yes, good luck with that. We got to fix the Zika I, before I, I keep, go to the Rica. I keep telling everyone you're going there to get infected and he, bring he, it back. You know what? I'm willing to risk it. Yeah, right. I'm willing to risk it. But, my, hey, my daughter shouldn't. Right. That's what I keep telling her. Yeah. So uh, we'll get into all of that fun um, about uh, Zika funding and interesting. A Utah man had a really uh, a possibly very weird way that he was infected with Zika. They think. We don't know. They're still working on they that. They want to create a scare. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Today, by the way, is Confucius Day. Hmm. Hmm. Confucius. Uh, by the way, Confucius uh, was born in China in October 18th, 551 B.C. Unbelievable. Uh, known for a lot of really incredible phrases. I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand. Mm. We'll be giving you that wisdom all day today. That's great. We're going to borrow Confucius's wisdom. He won't mind. No. I think he's okay with it. So we'll get to all that fun. Plus, um, you know. Other news stories, some of which you might even need to know, and a Trump date. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Sadie, what's going on? Law enforcement sources told CBS News that a a total of about 10 states had their election databases probed or breached by hackers, more than previously thought. Government officials are concerned about Russian efforts to influence the 2016 presidential election and that more cyber attacks between now and Election Day are likely. Arizona and Illinois have already experienced attempted hacks, and U.S. officials are now expanding their inquiry to determine what else, where else it could have happened. 
On Wednesday, the House seconded the Senate's vote to override President Obama's veto of a controversial bill that would allow families of 9-11 victims to sue the Saudi Arabian government for its alleged role in the terrorist attacks. Just hours after the Senate agreed 97 to 1 to override the veto, the House also rejected Obama's move 348 to 77. Congress's decision marked the first veto override of Obama's presidency. The president has vetoed 12 bills, including the 9-11 bill during his term. The Senate on Wednesday averted a government shutdown with the passage of a spending bill that will keep the government funded through December 9th. The bill, which pledges $1.1 billion to fight the Zika virus and $500 million in flood relief to Louisiana, passed in a 72-26 to vote. It will next move to the House, where it's expected to be approved, and will then hit President Obama's desk. Senate Democrats initially blocked the measure Tuesday because it did not include aid for the water contamination crisis in Flint, Michigan. However, the bill moved forward Wednesday after the Republicans agreed Tuesday night to consider Flint aid for a future measure to come after the presidential election. And finally, what's up? Um, in Florida, a teen's daredevil skills are gaming him uh, viral fame after a video showed him being wakeboard- wakeboarding through a flooded ditch while being pulled by a horse. <laughs> now, not a drone, oh, a yeah. horse. We're going old school here. Ah. Um, so the video was posted to Facebook, um, which showed Jeff Count 17 wakeboarding through a farm ditch, which was being pulled by a horse. Um, by his brother. He said, how fast are we going? And by the end of the video, he was going 25 miles per hour. Holy cow. If you watch the video, it's pretty cool. I mean, the ditch is what, like maybe six feet wide and he's just wakeboarding in it. I don't get what the big deal. The the Amish have been doing this wakeboarding for years. Have they? Yeah. I haven't seen any videos of it. The Amish Wakeboarding League, huge. Interesting. Northern Pennsylvania, Southern Pennsylvania area. Oh, okay. I can't remember. Really got to go to that. Eastern Pennsylvania? South Central. South Central Pennsylvania. Yeah, the Amish wakeboarding. That's uh, these kids, you know? Was it a kid? It was it's, a kid, 17-year-old. That's all it takes. Give a, give a kid a horse, a rope, and a wakeboard and a ditch. You know who's at fault? Who? GoPro. Totally. You sell cameras, people are going to film themselves doing yeah. something dumb. Well, and luckily they had a horse. Yeah. Or he would have been being pulled by a, you know, a Pinto. A car or something. A car. Yeah. Jeez. Thank you, Sadie. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these aren't new ideas. I used to go, I used to surf down gutters every big rainstorm. Just, we'd all the kids, this is how it used to be, how our parents didn't care about us. But with the minute it rained, all the kids in my neighborhood, we ran right to the streets in the gutters. And we would just ride the gutter all the way down to State Street. The gutter gang. The gutter gang. It's all fun and games, but you get stick in a culvert, get stuck in a culvert. That's never fun. Hey, um, okay, give me the Trump date. Okay, let's just get this just out of the shoot way. Shoot through it. We'll we'll, we'll start <sighs> not with Trump. Oh, good. Right, because people are like, I'm not going to. We're going to start with if Hillary. You, if you don't want to vote for Trump, if you don't want to vote for Hillary Clinton, yeah, there's always Gary Johnson. Oh, I was going to say Stein. Okay, right? yeah, there's always yes, Gary Johnson. Yesterday, the Detroit Free Press or Detroit News. So it's not the it's the Detroit News. There's two papers up there. Yeah. The Detroit News, uh, since its founding in 1873, has backed Republican every single year, right? Except for now. Huh. What? They said three times they sat on the sidelines twice during the Franklin Roosevelt election and in the uh, Bush Kerry contest. They didn't choose. Hold on, they didn't choose in the Bush Kerry contest, mm-hmm. but they can choose in the Clinton Trump contest. They're going Gary Johnson. They've endorsed Gary Johnson. 
He scored. Yeah. Well, that's great for Gary, Gary Johnson had a town hall last night on MSNBC yeah. talking with uh, Chris Matthews. Was it? Yeah. Clip three. Who's your favorite foreign leader? Who's my favorite? Any, just name anywhere in the country. Any one of the continents, oh, any boy. country. Name one foreign leader that you respect and look up to. Anybody. No. Mine was Shimon Peres. No, no. Okay, that, I'm talking that was, about living. That was the okay. vice president. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to do this anywhere. And any living. Continent. He just passed away. Canada, Mexico, Europe, over there, uh, Asia, South America, the Africa. Name planet. A foreign leader that you respect. Everybody. I guess I'm having an Aleppo moment in oh. the former former president of Mexico. But I'm giving you the whole world. I know, I know. I know. Anybody the, the in the Sente world you Fox? like. Yeah. Anybody. Pick any leader. The fur president no. of Mexico. Which one? I'm, I'm having a brain. I'm well, name brain. anybody. Fox. So Fox. Okay, who's your favorite foreign leader? Get him off the hook. Name a foreign Fox. leader. He was, he was terrific. Any foreign leader? Um, Merkel. Okay, Merkel. Okay, fine. Save yourself. So. You're a wow. monster. There you go. He can't name another foreign leader. President Bush uh, had this problem. Yeah. As he was running, he couldn't name a but foreign leader. But he would leader. make up a name. Yeah, possibly. The Arizona Republic, as we heard the other day, for the first time in their paper's history, they endorsed a Democratic candidate, ah, Hillary Clinton. Right. They received, um, let's see, the Arizona Republic says it's received death threats and countless subscription cancellations over the endorsement of Hillary Clinton, the first time the paper's done it in 126 years. So, Wow. Death threats? Death threats. It's really, really, people are angry. Speaking of angry, Donald Trump held a... Uh, a conference call with surrogates Wednesday afternoon. Trump aides made it clear that the Republican nominee is upset that his allies publicly acknowledged they, that, that they pushed him to change his preparation and tactics before his next bout with Hillary Clinton, and he wants him to stop immediately. The message was not subtle. The source familiar with the call said Trump wants his supporters to make an energetic defense of his performance and refuse to concede that he didn't nail it. You will like what I did. Are you serious? Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> um, uh, the spokesperson denies any of this, of course. So Trump's out there saying we need to get ahead of this and tell people that I did a good job. But that's kind of what Kim Jong-un says. Yes. And likewise, Donald Trump is now accusing Google of cooking search results so that it's pro-Hillary and against him. Okay. Sure. They, uh, the Google search engine was suppressed in the bad news about Hillary Clinton. He claimed a scene in politics a reporter points out that Trump's remarks Wednesday night came two weeks after Sputnik News, a Russian government-controlled news agency, published a report claiming that Google search results are biased in Clinton's favor. Conservative news outlet, including Breitbart News, whose chairman became Trump's CEO last month, linked to the report. And that's the source of the information is a Russian-language newspaper. Mm. And also the New York Times published a book review about a new book public called uh, Hitler Ascent. 1889 oh through 1939, but many in the media have interpreted it as a thinly veiled comparison between Hitler and Donald Trump. Hmm. An eagle mani- maniac who rose to power through demagoguery, showmanship, and nativist appeals to the masses, a man whose manic speeches and penchant for taking all-or-nothing risks raise questions about his capacity for self-control, a nation where millions naively embraced his doctrine of hatred. Says who? Yeah. So, <laughs> there you go. Trump's over. And now, I mean, there's all these threats that Donald's going to have to – he's going to have to unleash the Kraken. He's going to have to talk about (laughs) Hillary's husband's problems. Yeah. Didn't want to. That Roger Ailes is saying you need to go to the infidelity. That's where you win. That idea is just the worst. There you go. (laughs) 
Oh, does she counter? Happening? Does she counter with Trump's infidelities? Well, but that see the point that he would make is she's. It wasn't the infidelities. That's whatever. That is what it is. But it's how she yeah. handled Monica the women. Yeah. She and degraded them. the women and attacked the women instead of supporting these victims of abuse. She berated them. Right. Liar! 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 But couldn't she counter with that doesn't – that's not my infidelities. Sure. That's when you actually committed infidelities. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. She could totally counter with that. And can you imagine where this would go? Or should she take the high ground and just not oh, talk about that's it? that's all she said. There you – like Reagan, there you go again. Yeah. There you go again. Would that work? Probably. I mean, what it would do, I guess, is make it so we don't pour pour more you know fuel on this. Thing. Yeah. Because where does that go? So, there, ah. so that's it. No more. <sighs> no more Trump today. Trump's no more over. Trump. No more Hillary. I mean, Gary Johnson still can't get the name out. <laughs> and he calls up the Aleppo moment. It just seems like if I were running, I would have for sure a favorite. I just have my favorites. I would have my favorites. I'd say no matter what, even if you don't like them, you go with like Angela Merkel. Always. Right at the end. Some Always. One, one of the two of them went, oh, Merkel. I How remembered Merkel? one. <laughs> How about the German lady with the M name? Yeah. You mean Angela Merkel? Um, For as long as she's still in power, she's yeah, in trouble Yeah, she's in too. trouble too. With all the immigration, there's a lot of stress in the country. It's a... It's a scary time, right, for a lot of these, especially because people are turning more protectionist and more protective of their countries, especially in Europe right, right. now. And they're turning more to authoritarian-type leadership instead of being accepting of yeah. all. We're going to draw lines and this is we're gonna we make, are. Somebody's going to pay for this. Yeah. Huh. Well, let's change the subject then. Hey, Zika. Let's go to something lighter. <laughs> How about a little Zika talk? Um, Congress – they, you know, they tend to gum stuff up. And so our next guest has been tracking and following the government's approach to uh, handling the Zika, the Zika funding we, that we need in order to create, hopefully, some solutions, some, some actual uh, fixes to the Zika virus. And in reality, folks, um, the government was mucking it up until even yesterday when they finally pushed a bill through. We'll talk to uh, Anna Santos Rutschman in just a few minutes about how really you take on a virus and how important it is that our government works as we go through this. Stick with us, helping you find the solutions, the answers you need, the information you need to be able to live a healthier, happier life. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with the Olympic Games over and Brazil out of the news, the Zika virus seems to have disappeared from the headlines, right? Uh, However, it is still a problem, and uh, it should be a concern to most of us as cases of uh, the virus are popping up all over America. Here to talk with us today um, about the virus itself, but also about the government's response and funding of uh, for research around the Zika virus, and is is a is a researcher Anna Santos uh, Rutschman. She is from the Duke Law School and is is here to help us uh, hopefully sort through what's going on as far as being able to find some answers for Zika and how's the government handling it. Doctor uh, Anna Santos Rutschman, thank you so much for being with us. 
Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me on the show. Great to have you and to learn from you. Now, you have been spending a lot of time, uh, I guess, working with the Jaharis Health Law Institute at DePaul University following the government's response to Zika outbreak, right? Correct. I, I actually started um, with Ebola. That's how I got involved um, in, in the topic back when I was at Duke. Um, and then, as you know, as Ebola began to subside, Zika exploded. Um, so I've been tracking the response um, to both uh, outbreaks, um, and my background is in intellectual property. So the idea of how you fund um, not just the response, but research and development of vaccines uh, for diseases like Zika um, that's pretty much the core of my work. Mm. And are we how if you had to give the government a grade, Anna, on how they're doing at providing the funding? I mean, research and development takes a lot of funding, takes a lot of planning and uh, I think even communication sharing of information. How how are we doing mm-hmm. as a government on on I guess we could even do both on Ebola and on Zika? And I, I would suggest you need to address two types of funding as well, because there's funding to just, you know, work on the disease, what we call R&D, research and, and development. And then there's funding to respond to a disease once there's an outbreak, like uh-huh. the recent crisis of Ebola um, and, and Zika. So I, I think we could talk about four different um, grades, and one of them um, just, you know, would have been very different two days ago, but with the events um, from yesterday with Congress approving, um, you know, funding for the Zika response, um, things improved um, slightly, I would say. So in, in terms of Ebola, the scenario was quite different um, from Zika. In terms of response, um, it was very prompt. Um, so certainly maybe a B. Um, on response. On, on response. Uh, not so much for Zika, because as, um, as you're aware, there's been a huge delay over you know, the entire summer and congressional recess uh, in terms of uh, unblocking funds for the response. The Centers for Disease Control were running out of money. Uh, and still, um, Congress, um, was, you know, there was a stalemate, and they tried to pass the Zika uh, bill that, again, would fund the response, not research and development of vaccines, but the response. Right. Um, to, to the outbreak. And they tried before the, the recess, they tried after, and only yesterday did they get um, to an agreement. So this would be a C minus, if not a D. Huh. Yeah. For the response. It, it, things didn't fare nearly as well as they did with, with Ebola. There's also the fact that part of the response uh, money to Zika is leftover money from Ebola, which is really not a good sustaining model, right? Right, because right. If Ebola lasted longer, there would be no Zika money. So somehow. Um, you know, our reserves are not uh, at the level they should be at. So that that's no, on the response, on the disease. What about on the R&D of the diseases? So that's, that's uh, a very complicated area because as with any other vaccines and pharmaceuticals in general, um, we know that the process of researching and developing new drugs and therapies is incredibly costly. And the risk associated uh, with it, you know, clinical trials, um, you know, not working, the science uh, beyond the drug not being good enough is, you know, it's very risky. We don't know what the outcome is. So you need to incentivize uh, pharmaceutical companies in general, but universities, you know, researchers Mm -hmm. um, to to take that risk in terms of money, time commitments, sources, etc. And uh, things are not working the way we would like them uh, to work. And Zika illustrates that very well. Ebola, perhaps even even better. 
uh, we now estimate that we'll start having um, clinical um, trials for Zika vaccines, um, you know, probably next year, maybe in 2018. Um, so the timeline is not um, is not great because the the outbreak happened, you know, earlier this year, end of last year. So we're not responding immediately, and we cannot respond immediately to outbreaks. So we are, we're not funding the types of vaccines that we need to have when outbreaks. Occur. And some of the, it seems like, I mean, just I guess the numbers we're looking at from your uh, from your article in the conversation, 3,000 reported cases of Zika in the 50 United States and close to 18,000 when you count the U.S. territories like Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. This is, Correct. I mean, so about 18,000 people um, that are impacted by this, and and like I guess you're saying is some of the reasons that R and D and com- some of the pharmaceutical companies don't want to go near it is it just takes so much time. There's so much regulation. There's so many laws they have to jump through in order to get, um, and then you know paying for it and uh, knockoffs, people that can copy their their um, their works and their trademarks. So. Part of this is something the government can do, right, is lighten some of the regulation around uh, getting these drugs to the market. So there are different um, options. The one that deals immediately with the types of concerns that you're listing um, you know, has to do with intellectual property. We have this system uh, in place in the U.S. Um, and elsewhere. Um, to which we give patents to pharmaceutical companies who innovate in some area. And this is very broadly designed, so it doesn't apply only to patents over vaccines. But, you know, if we focus on them, um, on that particular case for a moment, I think you'll see how the system actually does not work. Because the idea is if you create um, a Zika vaccine, if you're able um, to patent with the Patent and Trademark Office, you get 20 years of exclusivity on the market. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so the idea is, in 20 years, you can probably recover the costs associated with that, taking that you know initial risk, the right. plunge of let's use these resources, um, you know, in, in a risky um, enterprise. The problem is, you have to deal with the FDA. You have to run your clinical trials, which means you're not going to have 20 years to recover your costs. Probably you're going to have 12. Right. Um, because the time it takes you to deal with all the FDA regulations will eat away your patent time. Um, that's still not the only problem, right? Um, there's a, an issue of timing because even if the intellectual property regime works semi-well, so if you get some time of exclusivity on on the market, the process of developing, of researching and developing a vaccine, you know, takes anywhere from 10 years to 15 years. Um, it really depends. But if there's an outbreak, you still don't have the vaccines you need mm-hmm. within the time frame that would be optimal, right? Uh, or in the case of Ebola, uh, we just don't have the vaccines and the epidemic has pretty much subsided. So... And this suggests that intellectual property alone, so our default system to encourage pharmaceutical innovation, is simply not working, and it needs help. No, that's true. I, and you can you can see it, you can feel it. Uh, and and as just as somebody that's worried about a daughter that could have children, and I've got a lot of grandkids that are supposed to get here, and if Zika is going to keep creating problems, we got to fix this. We got to figure that out. Plus, fix the system overall. We're going to take a break, Anna. We're speaking with Anna Santos-Rutchman. She is walking us through 
some of the obstacles that uh, we face as we try to take care of a Zika virus and create a Zika virus and yet still get through all the paperwork that government and the laws mandate in order to get the meds out. Stick with us. Hopefully uh, giving you solutions, tools you need, insights you need to make better decisions in your life. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about the Zika virus and uh, government's funding of uh, both research of the disease and a response to the disease. Finally, yesterday, uh, the government funding for the response went through. But one of the problems we run into when it comes to these viruses is simply the funding and the R&D, the research and development that needs to be done to make sure that we come up with a virus. And a lot of times you have to incentivize some of the um, pharmaceutical companies to get on that because the process takes about 20 years to retain and to basically of, you know, the ability to make money and earn money on the drug they're creating, um, which could recoup all the costs of the research and the development. The downside is when you need a virus today and um, or you have a virus today and you need some solution today, it's uh, it's it it means that it's not always a good business decision necessarily. So uh, Anna Santos uh, Rutschman is joining us. She is a uh, a researcher of intellectual property, of health law, incentives and theories and innovation policies in the area of life sciences, a graduate of Duke Law School and is uh, walking us through some of the Zika issues. Thank you so much, Anna, for being with us today. My pleasure. Talk to us about um, the the Zika virus. You started studying Ebola, and Ebola got so much attention. It seems like we're not as worried as a population about Zika as we probably should be. We were really worried about Ebola, maybe too worried, I don't know. Um, but it, it seemed to get a lot more attention and a lot of focus on it. Zika doesn't seem to be getting the same level of attention. Well, you know, Matt, to put it in really um, raw terms, people were dying of Ebola and people are not dying of Zika. So that pretty much accounts for the different emotional uh, response right. and the loudness of the commentary around uh, both diseases, which is not to say that Zika does not have devastating effects. Uh, the thing is, it has those effects on subsets of the population. Um, so... Uh, children and pregnant women, right? Right. Uh, For most of us, if we travel to um, Zika-infected areas, we might feel as bad as if we had a cold. Um, Stops the flu. So that's why Ebola um, got a lot more attention. And now we know the outbreak, um, you know, did not affect the U.S. um, like some of us thought it could um, have. Um, So there was a fear factor, but it was very concentrated. Uh, in time, Zika uh, has been, you know, disseminating across pretty much, uh, you know, the Americas for for a really long time. And there's this idea that even with winter uh, and the cold coming in, that is not going to stop the mosquitoes from spreading around. They have a really, really vast um, range here in the U.S. But again, most people will not suffer from Zika, other than feeling perhaps down, as you say, it comes down with a cold. 
um, and that justifies the different responses and coverage of the two diseases. Right. And then... Um, as it as it's spreading, for example, uh, forty three locally, uh, forty three cases have been, I guess, uh, cited as being locally acquired because of mosquitoes in the mm-hmm. United States. But about thirty three hundred of the of those of uh, those that have, uh, I guess, contracted the virus have um, received it through travel associated cases, right? Correct, and and also that's what happened with Ebola. The cases that affected American um, citizen, citizens had to do with some form of international travel plus contact with infected uh, populations. So we had no uh, endemic cases in, in the U.S. And uh, we, with Zika, we have um, local uh, cases, but in, in a very small area of the country, which obviously has you know people in Florida and Puerto Rico really, really worried, um, but it's not affecting other areas of the country as much. Mm. It's a, uh, and again, yeah, you make a great point that, I mean, if if people were dying, we'd all be terrified of this, but it is, it's the babies, um, it's the uh, smaller heads uh, of these babies and these poor mothers that when they contract the virus, it's not just a cold anymore. It doesn't just feel like a bug anymore. Now it's it's a uh, it's a big deal. In fact, uh, in Utah, some some University of Utah doctors are doing some research now on a Utah man that may have contracted the virus. They believe by just touching his his dying father's tears or his sweat. I don't know if you heard this story, but um, yeah. Yeah. and and so they're I mean they're researching it. It's not confirmed, I guess yet, but the that the man that was dying um, may have had a hundred thousand times the normal level of the virus in his body because of radiation therapy and other therapies he was going through because of cancer. And uh, so, I mean, I guess the scary thing about the virus is this is the Zika virus has been around, like you said, for many, many years, predominantly, I guess, down in South and Central America. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So it's a pretty um, strong virus. It is. And unfortunately, is one, uh, you know, we don't know that much about. You mentioned some of the symptoms. Uh, but uh, there are others that, you know, there's a lot of um, scientific papers uh, out there um, talking about other syndromes you might um, you might get from Zika, but there's no consensus in the scientific community. Uh, so as you can imagine, in order to develop the right vaccine, mm. uh, we still need that, um, that piece of knowledge and a few other pieces of knowledge that we're, we're lacking. And that's why it is so important. Uh, to incentivize R&D research and development uh, around diseases that exist elsewhere that have not affected the U.S. yet because we live in an increasingly globalized world. So today it was Ebola and Zika, but there's so much out there that could become the next Ebola and Zika in the U.S., mm-hmm. right? Well, and I guess, too, that's why we got to yeah get government on this because um, one of the things that messed up the Zika funding originally was the was the funding that was they were tying they were tying the Zika funding to Planned Parenthood funding, which created it sounds like some stalemates and slowed down the progress. And they also tied it uh, to something else just recently that uh, that's made it. The side, that's the side use. They wanted to relax um, the use of um, certain pesticides. Um, that's right. So. The entire package got tied to that, um, and that's why um, the Democrats blocked it um, earlier this month. And those two um, strings, they just 
um, work cutaway. So that's no longer part mm. of the package that was passed um, yesterday. But the Democrats did compromise um, on on a couple on a couple of things. And then too, they've got to the. But you're saying because one of the, the the proposals, right, was like a voucher program where these um, the the researching pharmaceutical companies that are doing the R and D could get a voucher of some sort to, I guess, expedite the process. Mm-hmm. So that's a separate issue from yesterday's yeah. funding. So yesterday's money goes directly into the response. So we've been talking about you know three thousand people infected in the U.S. 18,000 in territories, that's what that money is covering. And again, that's leftover Ebola money that's being used for that. So question marks around that, but at least we have a temporary solution. On the other um, side of the issue, though, uh, what government is trying to do is to incentivize this early research and development around viruses like Ebola or Zika that might not have affected the U.S. yet, but will in, in the future. So for a number of, of diseases, and some of them are tropical, some of them uh, actually are not, we have something called the Priority Review Voucher Program. Um, if you remember, I told you that your patent is actually shorter than you think um, it might be because you have to comply with FDA regulation. Right. What this voucher does is if you're able to get FDA approval for a drug that fits into um, one of the boxes that the Congress that Congress made eligible for this. So we're talking uh, filoviruses, that's all types of Ebola. We're talking Zika. We're talking tropical diseases in general, as long as they're neglected, and also rare pediatric diseases. This is um, the overall package for the, for the vouchers. If you get approval by the FDI in the U.S. for some therapy, drug, vaccine, etc., uh, that addresses one of these diseases, you get a voucher. And what this voucher does is next time you come to the FDI with one of your drugs, instead of taking, they say, 10 months, sometimes it's more like a year, but instead of taking that amount of time to review your application, they have to do it within six months. Huh. And, that's a, and that creates an incentive for the next drug. That's, well, that's the argument, that if you enter the market a few months earlier, you're going to generate revenue sooner, and the idea that you'll generate more revenue. Hmm. So this lead time in the market would be the incentive for you to do R&D in Zika, in Ebola, or rare pediatric diseases. So that's, that's the theory. Mm-hmm. Right? It Interesting. doesn't always work like that. Right. Well, because there's a market, right? And there's, I mean... It's in, yeah, it's, and I could just hear some people saying, "Well, they should just do it out of the goodness of their heart," and it's true. And they also are spending billions of dollars to get these drugs to market and jumping every hurdle imaginable. Correct. So, I mean, it would in an ideal world, yes, companies would just commit their resources they need to tackle these these types of diseases. You know, I mentioned. Uh, rare pediatric diseases. We're talking about, you know, rare cancers. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, um, you know, morally, ethically, etc. There's a number of reasons for you to just pour um, your money into R&D for these diseases, but the market is not big. And, you know, the market for Zika and Ebola is not big, right? Right. right. Um, and the answers are needed. Correct, correct. And we're dealing with companies and, you know, we have to understand how they play the game. We created intellectual property to deal with that, and we're trying to create additional incentives, like the voucher program, uh, to help these companies in terms of you know, incentives to, to do this research. 
but it's not working um, as it should. Because what is what is happening with the vouchers? We don't have um, evidence on all of the areas yet. It's just just one in some of um, these areas to tell. But what is happening is, if you think for a moment, if I give you a voucher that you use for a second drug, then you're going to use, if you're a rational uh, economic agent, you're going to use that voucher on the blockbuster drug, not right. on a Zika drug exactly. that will cover maybe 3,000 people, you know, 10,000 people. You're going to go for cholesterol or lifestyle mm-hmm. disease, right? Because from a business perspective, that's what makes sense. Um, if you also think that in the specific case of Zika and even Ebola, um, other countries in areas where these viruses have been endemic have had more motives to devote R&D resources to these diseases than we have in the U.S. So you just go there, you take their technology, you pay them minimally for it, and you get FDA approval. And that's the letter of the law. As long Mm. as you get FDA approval, then you get your voucher. But you have not really invested in any innovative R&D. Right. You see what I mean? So it's it's a twisted system, um, but it's playing off. So right now, um, after Duke, I come to Chicago, I'm at DePaul, and the company based here, you know, just close to us, uh, they paid $350 million for one of these vouchers mm. um, to a competitor. So the competitor just resold the voucher, which is totally allowed under wow. the current law. Yeah, and so they estimated as getting to the market earlier, you know, those few months earlier than expected would be obviously more than three hundred and that is crazy dollars. so now they're like right. yeah now they're brokering vouchers holy yeah. cow in, in the millions and yeah. so now the record has been set by the chicago-based company um and that means you know um somebody got 350 million dollars richer we know for sure that uh in the case of some of the diseases that have been covered by the vouchers uh for the longest time um, no money is really going into original uh, and innovative uh, R&D. So money was generated within uh, the pharmaceutical industry, but it's likely to fund non-Zika, non-Ebola, non-rare pediatric right. diseases. Oh, man. Again, it just seems like another great example of <laughs> systems gone awry. Uh, anyway, well, we appreciate you, Anna, and the great work um, you're doing. At least somebody's watching these numbers and what's going on. Uh, we, um, we've we learned a lot and uh, wish you the best of luck. Continue continue chasing the crazy uh, these crazy companies and the government and their method of managing the oversight of this. Ah! Systems, folks. Confusing, complicated at times. Um, this is why you need good leaders in there, people that uh, that are in the know, hopefully. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion, do a little Coach's Corner with you. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. Play ball. Welcome back, friends. Uh, Terry's got some really good news for you. If you've been watching your weight all year, you're going to want to uh, to listen up. Terry, good news and bad news? So the good news is you're probably lighter now than you were at any other point so far this year. Excellent. Losing the weight. The bad news is you're about to pack on the pounds again. It'll take months to lose the pounds that you pack on through Halloween with candy. 
Oh, boy. Thanksgiving with yeah. that whole meal you're going to eat. Or three. Or three. And then uh, all the holiday parties, mm-hmm. all the Christmas lead up, mm-hmm. and then Christmas itself. And then New Year's. Yeah. Which is like a you know week away from each other. And then bypass surgery week. And then you... <laughs> yeah. Go! So uh, what it says, the uh... report, re- researchers out of uh, Finland in the New England Journal of Medicine looked at the weight of patterns of roughly 3,000 people in the U.S., Japan, and Germany over a one-year period. They found that while... The precise patterns tend to be regional and based on a national holiday type of schedule. Uh, overall pattern is that people eat more and gain more during the holidays with more of the weight gain happening around the end of the year for people in all three mm. countries. So don't start skipping meals. No. Average weight gain is only around one or two pounds, but it takes an average of five months to lose those holiday pounds. So you skinny little people, enjoy the next couple weeks. I am the healthiest human ever known to man. And then to just know that in a few weeks, one political candidate will start calling you names. Or just not want to talk about him. I didn't say any You names. tried to. I know, but I didn't say You referred name. to you that said name that him. won't be spoken. You gave it away. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. Okay, that's really good news. Um, oh, quick tip. Yeah. Watching a Fox News clip this morning, they uh, Kelly, Megan Kelly. Megan Kelly. She talking about him who will remain unnamed, said that Voldemort. Um, women don't like it when you talk about their weight, especially if you call them fat. Oh, yeah. She's just giving a tip. That's a great point. Just though. a tip. I mean, Megan Kelly. Especially if you've been found to be overweight through, yeah. you know, documents you've released. Right. Like, let's say. But then yeah. she said it might be worse if you're fit. And then you're calling us fat. Oh yeah. So it was and maybe kind of that a, maybe you're you are your ideal size, and then somebody's just calling you fat. Right. So just it's a, a tip. great tip from Megan women Kelly. don't like you to talk about their weight. I, I'm pretty sure nobody does. <laughs> I don't know. I always get asked, "How much do you weigh?" Do you really? Yeah. Wow. I don't know why, but people ask. That's weird. And then when I tell them, they go, "Wow, you carry it well." I'm like, "Thanks." Thanks, jerk. <laughs> You're an, uh, you're you're ugly. Hey, um, Confucius. Mm. It's Confucius Day, and we wanted to we wanted because he's so he's known for so many quotes. Like four hundred and fifty or ninety quotes have been attributed to Confucius. And one of our wisest men on the show, Jeff Simpson, has has put together a little uh, quiz for us, a Confucius quiz. Confucius versus confusing. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. When anger rises, think of the consequences. So that's the first one. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three quotes. You tell me which one is not Confucius. Okay. So we just got to discern which one's not Confucius. When anger rises, think of the consequences. Okay. What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Uh Uh-huh. And then lastly, this is not a cage match. The questions that are being asked shouldn't be trying to get people to tear into each other. Wow. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to bet Confucius never cited a cage match. That sound means you're correct. <laughs> okay. who, was the la- who was that quote from? That was Ted Cruz when <laughs> he was frustrated with all the moderators asking. Is, is it Cruz or is it Confucius? <laughs> that was confusing. Okay, are you ready yeah. for a few Let's more? Let's do another one. These are fun. It does not matter how slowly you go, so long as you do not stop. 
Uber. Hmm. That's an Uber quote. Okay. Choose a job you love, and you will never have to work a day in your life. Donald Trump. Okay, that's good. Okay. There's always a crisis. The impulse is always to do something, and it's not necessarily the right thing to do. Mm. Cruise. That sounds like Confucius and confusing. I'm going to – ah. Crisis. Would Confucius mention cri- a crisis? There's always a crisis. I think the crisis when someone was criticizing uh, choices made by Hillary Clinton. Oh. I think. Is that true? I'm going to go with that. We'll I go with that. I remember someone choice. going after the crisis one as a political one. There's always a crisis. Okay, so the crisis one was not – that was confusing, not Confucius. Correct. <laughs> two for two. Who was that last one? That was Jeb Bush. Oh. Jeb. Jeb Bush. The other Confucius. The Floridian Confucius. Interesting. Okay, we'll have to play this game next hour. This is a fun game. Was it Confucius or just confusing? Happy Confucius Day. We'll take a break. we got a fun hour next hour. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy morning to you. It's Thursday. ha, <laughs> ha. It's getting closer to the weekend. Not that we're looking forward to that. We don't just live for the weekends. Or do we? Got a great show for you today. Happy Confucius Day. Hmm. Confucius, the source of many wonderful, insightful thoughts. Like, when anger rises, think of the consequences. Think of it. Didn't Bane from Batman say that? Yes, but he said it through a mask. That wasn't half bad. That wasn't. I don't think it wasn't half good. I didn't even cover my mouth to do that. We uh, we'll have to ask the the good boys at Sports Nation. Spencer Linton does a really great Bane imitation. It's great. I can do McBain from The Simpsons. Oh, McBain! I thought McBain was the one at McDonald's. Meeting adjourned. (laughs) Yeah, that's good too. That's good. We've got so much to talk about today. Um, a lot of people suffering from uh, election exhaustion. We found a really powerful, I think, tool to to take care of if you're suffering, just overwhelmed, over exhausted. If you're tired of listening to the the punditry, if you're tired of listening to the to the candidates, it's a great great solution for that. We'll get to that, um, and just other stuff. More uh, – we'll probably play a little game about Confucius. Eventually we'll get to some Guinness World Records. Got a lot going on. Don't day. you hold a Guinness World Record? Mm, no, not yet. Didn't – I thought you were going to beat that uh, fist bump world I was, record. I was, but uh, that's not till November. 
next next two months, I'm going to do it. How many are you going for? Well, usually we can get about a thousand people there. Oh, that's great because you only need a little over three hundred, I yeah, think. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure we'll be able to do it. But I don't know. It's just a lot of work to get Guinness World Records there. You know, we got to print brochures for how to do the proper fist bump. You got it though. Stuff like Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, we're going for it though. I mean, apparently some of these records. <laughs> Aren't that hard to hit? You just got to be. You got to. You got to dig deep. We'll get to that as well. Plus, we will talk about why you should hire an introvert. Did you know that Tom Hanks is an introvert? Steve Martin, introvert. Tom Hanks. Yeah, the guy that randomly walks up to people in Central Park and says, "Hey, are you getting married? Let's have a picture." Yeah. Well, but see, because what he does is he just drops into an acting role. Now he's the man well, acting as Tom Hanks. That makes sense. You're not actually talking to Tom Hanks. Yeah, you're, you're talking, talking to the persona. Yeah. The persona. And um, but Mark Zuckerberg is an introvert. And what if you didn't hire a guy like Mark Zuckerberg? You wouldn't, you know. You know, I think a more important question is: Should we hire innies or outies? <clears throat> Well, that's kind of personal. Yeah. Like, I mean, I can't imagine sitting with my HR rep as we're interviewing you. <laughs> I ask, so, Jeffrey, are you an innie or an outie? How about introverted innies? Now, that's different. You totally ought to ask that question. And then you're like, you got to prove it. Let me see. Are you an innie or an outie? That's just crazy. I mean, outies are people, too. They're also cars. Oh, that's a great car. I'm looking for a car, by the way. So just putting you all on notice. There's a whole parking lot full of them yeah. out there. If you I was going to go test drive a few of them. Okay. There's this red Solara. Yeah, do that one. That next one looks to good. Yeah. a sweet blue car. That one's garbage. Don't use that one. Because <laughs> I, I got to talk to the guy in the blue car because I scratched it when I was pulling in. Oh, today. that was you? Yeah. Someone doored me. My bad. Took me off. Hey, um, we'll get to all that fun. Plus, we're going to talk about introverts versus extroverts, why you probably ought not overlook an introvert and make sure your hiring practices you know, also allow a good interview with an introvert. Sometimes we, we have hiring practices that go counter, only looking for extroverts. So uh, we'll get to all that fun. But first to Sadie Nielsen with the headline. Sadie, what's going on? For a second consecutive night, protesters gathered Wednesday in California holding signs and demanding accountability following an officer-involved shooting of an unarmed black man. Alfred Alongo, 38, pulled a vape-smoking device from his pocket and pointed it at police before one officer fatally shot him and another discharged a, discharged a taser. His death set off demonstrations in the San Diego suburb as activists demanded that authorities release video of the shooting. Some pro- protesters threw water bottles at police while others gathered in the street and parking lot where the shooting happened. Many held signs saying Black Lives Matter as police wearing helmets with shields looked on. At least three people were injured Wednesday during a shooting at Townville Elementary School in Townville, South Carolina. According to deputies, the alleged 14-year-old shooter was taken into custody. The unnamed male apparently shot his father to death near the school before going on his rampage, authorities said. Two children and a female teacher were reportedly transported to local hospitals for injuries. Hours after Congress overrode his veto of the bill allowing 9-11 victims' families to sue Saudi Arabia, President Obama responded telling CNN it was a mistake for them to do so. I understand why it happened, he said during the network's presidential town hall. Obama suggested that such lawsuits put Americans on a slippery slope and to being financially liable for anything that may go wrong while the U.S. is involved in relief efforts or private projects abroad. This particular veto override was the first one during President Obama's presidency. 
And finally, yes. a park dwelling Canadian rooster named Ricky is getting around without discomfort thanks to a pair of special shoes designed to relieve his arthritis. What? Yes. Ricky, found as a stray in Vancouver's Stanley Park, was rooster rescued. Boots. Yes, <laughs> was rescued by park employees and now makes his permanent home at the facility. The rooster was found to be suffering from arthritis in his feet and was fitted with a special set of orthopedic shoes to relieve his discomfort. Oh, my word. We have people without shoes. Hashtag all rooster lives matter. Hashtag finger licking good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> even when they're on the plate, they matter. That is, oh, do we eat roosters? We do now. Okay. Um, if they relax it, in that same park, yeah. If they just looked, I don't know, probably to the right. There's probably somebody. There was some shoes. homeless man without shoes. Yeah, it's true. But we're we're worried about an arthritic rooster who's lived its life, and we're going to get him rooster boots. These are animal caring people, so they well, have know, to but care, so for, care the for the humans. Come on, <laughs> I mean, okay. Just, uh, I love animals too. I do, but. You know, the rooster, if it's got arthritis, it might be 18 years old. <laughs> Give me some more boots. <laughs> <laughs> Once you buy a rooster boots, then you got to buy him sandals for the summer. Right. Dress up shoes when he goes to the weddings. An iPhone. Get him an iPhone. <laughs> Maybe seven iPhones. Uh, he's not that rich. Wow, Sadie, thanks. Hmm. Americans. Or the Canadians, I guess. Either way. They're just Northern Americans. Humans. Now I'm going to get email from Canadians. We love oh, yeah? we love animals. We're not saying don't take care of animals. It's was, just humans was, are people too. I was watching this show. A guy goes to a, a gun range. Just aim, shoot, right? Yeah, just, just gun and range. So he walks in and he puts up a target and they don't let you see it. And everyone around him is like, like what's he doing? And he rolls it back and it's a target of a dog. Right, and he starts shooting at this paper target, and it's a dog. You can't shoot at a dog. Target. No, and everyone gets really mad. And he goes, "What? How's that any more weird than what you're doing? You're shooting at a human being target over there." I mean, that's so. True. And they're like, "Uh," and they end up kicking him out. They go, "We don't want you causing problems shooting at dogs. Shooting at damn animals. Dogs are people too." But they're, and they had a target that said like had like a. It was some guy in a sombrero with a knife or something. and <laughs> Some like racist target of, an, of a human. Because how's that any different? <laughs> Moving a, on. It's a great point. Hey, so a lot of Americans are suffering what's called election fatigue. Mm. Nearly six in ten Americans, according to a new Pew Research Center poll, six in ten Americans feel exhausted by the amount of election coverage. While 39% say they like getting a lot of coverage about the election, this feeling of fatigue is particularly true among those who aren't following the news about the election very closely. 70% of those that don't follow the news say they are worn out compared to 41% of those that follow the election. So if you are suffering from election fatigue, and we I'm personally suffering from it. We keep taking little sabbaticals. Hmm. Uh, and we, there's times in the show we won't even, like, mention he who must not be named, also known as Lord Voldemort Trump. Um, but we wanted to reach out to those of you that are suffering and um, that are suffering this fatigue. We dug through the archives and we found a really, I think, an, an interesting little uh, public service announcement 
about how to handle election fatigue. What difference at this point does it make? Bing, bing, bing. And what is Aleppo? You're kidding. No. Ah, I'm just so sick of all this political coverage on TV. Let's see what's on Twitter. Clinton and Trump faced each other for the first time Monday night. Catch up on what happened. Ah, I just can't get away from politics. Perhaps I can be of some assistance. I doubt it. Keeping up with all this news is just so exhausting. Well, let me make a small suggestion. It's just three words. Are you ready? I guess. Turn it off. Turn it off? What do you mean? Well, if it makes you sick, just click. Wait, you're telling me I can just turn it off? Yes. That's asking a lot. No, it isn't. But my Twitter page, I should keep reading political news there, right? No. But then how do I keep up on what's going on? You don't. And that's okay? Yes. But how do I do that? Just turn off the TV. Shut off your phone. Cease and desist. Halt. Refrain. Sounds too easy. What's the catch? No catch. It is that easy. I don't know. You could also close your eyes and shut your ears. Cancel your cable and phone services. Or if you're looking for something more extreme, gouge out your eyes with a spoon. Or burst your eardrums with some Slim Whitman. All right, I'll turn it off, I promise. Turn it off. The new movement brought to you by people with common sense. It's a really good point. Wow. You just turn it off. Just turn it off. Play Slim Whitman. It's like these people that complain about like a TV show. Maybe it has something that you deem to be offensive. Yeah, turn maybe, it off. Maybe you don't want your family to watch said show. Turn it off. You could just turn it off. Instead, they go to Facebook and publicize it. And yeah. everyone's like, wait, I didn't even know that show existed. Is that a good choice? Oh, I didn't know it had that much when if they skin just, on it. When if they just turned it off, it, they wouldn't be promoting right. the show. If everyone would just turn off all the election coverage, what would happen? Is there an election in the woods if no one's there to vote? I think you're mixing sayings, metaphors. I'm not sure. I think I just channeled Confucius. Yeah, what was that? That was really good. More confusing than. (sighs) Just turn it off. It's It's that simple. I mean, I wouldn't turn our show off. No, turn this show on. Keep this show on. Yeah. Turn other shows off. But then you've got to stop talking about politics. Well, we can give you just a little bit. Who who talks about politics? What's politics? Do you mean you mean that the man who must not be mentioned? That politics? Or how about the woman? Who shall not be named? Shall not be named. <laughs> Bellatrix Lestrange? We don't we don't we don't mention any of these people. This hour. It's a good move. It's a really good move. Right. Turn it off. It's a campaign uh, that I think we all ought to pay attention to. And I think the Slim Whitman thing was a really big – I think it was very helpful because Slim Whitman gets rid of a lot of things. He does. Roaches. Roaches. Chase off vermin. Aliens. Right. Just put on some Slim Whitman. What was the name of the song? Indian Love Call. (laughs) 
I don't know why that makes me laugh. Yeah. It's sort of. It's the election love call. Okay. You put that on, bada boom, bada bing. No more election blues. Okay, we will take a break, folks. If you're if you are an introvert, you're going to want to listen up. If you happen to be an extrovert, this next guest uh, is going to be really important. Don't ever overlook the power of introversion. Some of the biggest names and uh, most creative people you've ever heard of happen to have been introverts. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. When I'm calling you. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Are you a fan of the movies? If so, uh, do you like Tom Hanks? Do you like Steve Martin, Emma Watson, Audrey Hepburn? In a world of business, do you believe that Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg have been quite successful? How about Abraham Lincoln when it comes to politicians? Was he one of our best presidents? All of these influential and memorable people have one thing in common. They are all introverts. So if introverts can do and become such amazing people, why do we talk about them as if they're a germ that doesn't belong in the office? Joining us is Ray Bixler. He's CEO of Skills uh, Survey and is here with us this morning to talk about an article he wrote about hiring introverts and why you, you got to be careful why you should hire an introvert now. Ray Bixler, thank you so much for being with us today. Matt, good morning. Uh, you're welcome, and, and thank you for having me. You bet. What a fun um, article. As a, I am, a, and no one believes this about me, but I'm an introvert that's, I guess, socially skilled. Everyone thinks I'm I'm outgoing and I'm I'm extroverted, but honestly, I'm a true blue introvert. And it is we in a weird way we're seen many times as I'm not, I guess because I can fake it, but others are seen as just this anomaly, these strange people because they're not always around the water cooler. They're not as social as everyone else. Yeah, no, Matt, I, I think I'm uh, in, in, in the same category that you just described yourself. Uh, I, I know that people have told me how social I appear, and uh, I think uh, that comes from the fact that when I'm talking to somebody in a one-on-one situation, I can I can be very engaged. But at the end of the day, uh, networking is not my thing. I don't like to walk into a, a large party where I don't know many people. I'll search out for the person I know, uh, and, and yet it still comes across as social. Mm. Uh, but, like, but like you, I, I tend to be more introverted, uh, would prefer gardening or a good book read. And, and, and I guess the way we kind of know introvert versus extrovert, and now there's ambivert where somebody's both things. And, um, but I guess it's, it's how you get your energy. Isn't that the best description? Do you get your energy by being with people or do you get your energy by being away and alone? Well, I think it's a little bit of both, right? So uh, I, I, I would say probably the latter first. I get yeah. my energy where I am. I'm, I'm uh, recharging the batteries. Uh, you know, need my downtime, no matter what it might be. Even spending time with my family uh, does recharge the batteries uh, for me, and then it gives me the opportunity to, in fact, use that energy that I've been conserving over a period of time. Sometimes it can just be an hour, right, uh, where I just have a little bit of alone time in an office with the door closed and yeah. I can open it back up and, and re-engage in a way that people would perceive as highly energetic and highly social. Do you, as, a, as an introvert and in this business world, um, I mean, there was the great book that came out called uh, Quiet, 
And that book talked about at Harvard a lot of just the admission processes to get students into Harvard's MBA program were very extrovert oriented. They were oriented on people being able to socialize, work in teams, and and all of this you know um, kind of outwardly focused uh, systems. Is is that a big issue in HR and in in uh, in corporate America that we tend to be looking more for extroverts than we are introverts? Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I read the same book, and, and it really resonated with me, and, and obviously probably with you too, because I found myself. I would say I'm probably more that uh, ambivert than than introvert. But, but you know, if you if you actually only hire extroverts, which which are people that tend to look really good when you're interviewing them, right? They have the firm handshake, right. not the sweaty palm. Uh, the eye contact is solid right at you. Uh, they're answering questions in a very enthusiastic way. If you only hire extroverts, and you think about those team meetings that Harvard was talking about, uh, everyone's talking, and, and uh, everyone's got an opinion that they're willing to share because they're confident or think think they are, and, and so no one's being quiet or being thoughtful. Uh, it's just a lot of noise in yeah. the room, um, and, and ultimately uh, those opinions might be uh, forced uh, in, in the situation where a very thoughtful, maybe more introverted kind of person uh, just, just doesn't speak up. It's so true. It's um, I mean, I guess that's the that's the point. There's some myths about introverts that we we probably need to blow up. What are some of the other myths that we see? I mean, when you see that Bill Gates, I mean, he seems I mean, almost the introvert is like the, the, the nerd, the geek that just sits there quietly, you know, quivering and um, quaking. I, that's just not the case. Uh, that's right. You, again, going back to that, uh, the team meeting I just uh, emphasized, if, if the same team meets every week and, and for the most part it's nothing but extroverts or maybe there's one or two introverts in the room, uh, people who just don't feel as confident to express their opinions or just don't know how to get uh, involved in a very noisy, opinionated environment, they may be perceived as well disengaged, right? Uh, their eyes may revert to the floor or to the table versus looking around the room, which then leads people to go, geez, they're just not involved. They just don't care. They're just uh, not confident and, 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 uh, and therefore probably even further removed from uh, the people that they associate with every day. And, um, and that's just not appropriate, and we have to really rethink this. Mm. Is it um, because they in that uh, in the book Quiet? One of the things that was mentioned is that maybe the fact is we the reason we need both is when the when the economy tanked, a lot of the big advocates were probably more extroverted verbal people that were pushing for certain rules and regulations, and yet meanwhile some of the quiet people may have known the numbers aren't adding up and it's going to impact our economy. I guess what has to happen is we need to make sure we're hiring both on our team and then we have to make sure we're hearing from both. Uh, that's correct. I, I think you're right about the financial crisis uh, uh, and what occurred there. Uh, you know, you think about teams that are only led by extroverts. Uh, they'll do things very quickly. They're very urgent. Uh, and and yet they won't go through all of the progressions necessary before making a decision, have you looked at it from different angles, from uh, from different perspectives? Slow down for a moment. I mean, at the end of the day, while we are in this ever uh, increasingly uh, uh, sped up world, uh, it is uh, important to slow down. And if you don't have people on your team that you trust and that you get involved, and that's a really important part here, get involved, um, you won't slow down and you will make more mistakes than, than had you had them involved and, and maybe uh, – 
we're a little bit more thoughtful. Mm. Is it what is it about our culture? Do you think, and especially in corporate America, that that makes hiring the extrovert so uh, s- such a such a desirable thing? Well, you think about you think about things like Facebook uh, and, and, and YouTube and and and, and Twitter. Uh, it, it's and think about our political season right now. I mean, we're in the middle oh, of it. Uh, yeah, it's the, it's the loudest ones that that. Uh, uh, are making uh, a point that uh, will resonate with some people. It, it might strike people as being confident. Uh, just shouting doesn't say you're confident, but the louder you shout, some people take it that way. Um, uh, you know, people uh, just, you think about, again, I just mentioned Facebook or Twitter. Um, you know, there are people who just want to make their point repeatedly in, in one of those two forums. Um, and, and those that are introverted might be sitting there thinking, geez, I should reply, but I'm not going to because I just won't be uh, heard. Right. Do you, and even in the uh, – I mean sometimes the the extrovert might be better at just selling themselves and making them appear in a way um, – You in your article, you mentioned about interviewing, how we just – how we even go about interviewing. Are, are there ways – to get, for example, an introvert to come out a little bit more and and be more engaged in the interview if they're if they're not normally that engaging. Yeah, you know, it, it's a great question. Um, my 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 um, my thought immediately is one aspect of some organizations' uh, interview process uh, w- would tend to not be favorable for int- introverts at all, and that would be when companies. Uh, do a panel interview mm. where they're going to have somebody walk into a team of uh, a group of four or five people who are sitting literally across from them. So true. Uh, uh, that is not going to uh, uh, do uh, or put put an introvert in, in an appropriate environment where they're going to do well there. Um, and, and we just went through this uh, where now I'm questioning why I did it recently. Um, I, I know why, because I wanted uh, uh, six people on the team to meet meet with the three finalists that we had for this one position. And I just thought that um, uh, it might be best for uh, the, the people to meet uh, a it's couple of one-on-one situations. And, yeah. Yeah, more efficient. Exactly right. Uh, and uh, ultimately, now that I'm talking to you, Matt, <laughs> uh, I recognize that I probably put a couple of people in some situations that they just weren't going to be uh, doing well in them. Isn't it, it's so true. And that might be just how we do this, right? We've always done it that way. We just interview by panel. Except, except all of a sudden you are you you might be making it a bigger problem, especially when the job itself isn't going to be done by panel, right? Like if the guy's going to be sitting or a gal are going to be sitting in their office by themselves, crunching numbers or making something happen um, by themselves, and then you make them do a dance publicly to determine if they're good enough for that role, uh, it is a little backwards. I guess it's just habits we're doing. Uh, no, that's right. It, it speaks to, again, that everyone just has too much on their plate, too much to do. And so panels are becoming more popular now to, to be more efficient and, and give people more time to do their day jobs while they also need to interview. But it is not putting those introverts in the best situation possible, uh, where if they were in these one-on-one inter- interviews, they probably would shine mm. and do a much better job. And so, therefore, we tend to hire more extroverts than introverts because of that. And we, we probably don't do a good enough job, and I know you mentioned this, about tracking down the you know the referrals and talking to the people in depth about what makes this person such a great employee. I should go talk to the people that have worked with him for 10 years. 
Well, that's right. Uh, you know, we have uh, a couple of people on our team right now who, in fact, would be right there uh, in, in, as defined as introverts, and, and they've been with us for years, and yet, uh, um, you know, we, we, we need to improve on the reference checking, too. That, that is where the introverts do have an opportunity to shine, where, in fact, you might get feedback from a reference who, who would say, and we've seen this, um, you know, we were really cautious about bringing on Joe, uh, before before we decided to do so, because quite frankly, he just didn't shine in that interview. He was kind of awkward and shy, and and yet we took a chance, and 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 uh, we we are telling you, take the same chance because he really ended up being a superstar for mm. us. I mean, can you imagine Bill Gates in an interview in college? Yeah. I mean, he would have been just quirky and awkward, or even Warren Buffett, probably quirky and awkward, and yet now we you know we esteem them to be these great leaders and and innovators simply um, that would have been overlooked if we had just done it the traditional way. Let's take a break, Ray. We're speaking with Ray Bixler. Um, If you go to to his website, skillsurvey.com, you can find out more information about uh, the many um, services and and, uh, consulting uh, help that they give there. Ray Bixler is the CEO of uh, skillsurvey.com. and is the author of an article that we have uh, been picking away at, Why You Should Hire an Ert Introvert Now. You don't want to miss that opportunity. And you may be overlooking some serious talent when you don't uh, pay attention to the introvert-extrovert um, issues that go on with human lives. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. With more with Ray in just a minute. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do we lean too heavily on the extroverts of the world? And is maybe that why so much, so many ideas, so much talent in our organizations uh, just not being utilized? It's, a, it's an interesting question proposed by Ray Bixler, who is the CEO of SkillSurvey.com, uh, a great website, uh, wonderful solutions, tools, information, and help. Uh, to just, I think, to help all of us understand better teams and um, and understand what's going on in the business world. Uh, thank you so much, Ray, for being with us. Sure, Matt. Thank you. Talk to us about um, what we can do. If, if you're an introvert and you're about to go into an interviewing situation and to, to get a new job, you're a new hire opportunity, what can we do to make sure that we take advantage of what we're best at and, and maybe get the best opportunity by being interviewed? You know, uh, it's a great question. And my, my sense is most introverts who, of course, know who they are, know that they're walking into a situation that at best is going to be uncomfortable for them. At worst, could be a could be a, a really something uh, uh, more difficult and challenging. Uh, they probably do this already, but you, you need to come prepared, even if you're an extrovert, uh, although you'll see people shooting <laughs> more from the hip and winging it right. there. The introvert uh, will, will need to come prepared, literally handwrite questions on, on, on some paper, uh, do, do a, a deep of, of, of research on the business as you possibly can so that you are ready, prepared to ask questions of the interviewer and to address their questions as well. That's, I mean, that's great advice. And, and I guess, too, you could even suggest, right, that, you know, um, 
I mean, maybe focus on that in your interview. Go in and talk about your tendency to be an introvert, but you're you're still an introvert with skills in building team, in communicating. I mean, uh, one of the things I guess as a as an organization we could do is assess these 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 new recruits and and evaluate what they are. Are they introverted? Are they ambiverts? What what are their skill sets? Uh, you can personality assessments have have uh, been around for quite some time. I've gotten I've been involved in those as well in my career and and they do do that well. Uh they will tell you uh if somebody is gregarious or or maybe just social, which means social sounds gregarious but it's not. It, it literally defines somebody as much more or much better at being in a one-on-one situation than the uh gregarious person who is the networker. And by the way, as an as an uh, ambervert like you, I mean, I, I, I know I need to, as CEO of a company, do the networking that is mm-hmm. appropriate. And so I envy those people who can do it really well. Uh, but at the end of the day, the networker will probably leave with 30 business cards uh, and know ever so little about those 30 people versus me. I'll go in there, get to know two or three people really well, and maybe even uh, develop a deeper uh, relationships and friendships that way. So. Right. So I do envy uh, the extroverts. I'm not saying they're not no, right. uh, uh, good people. They, I, I love the fact that I have many on my team and, and, and uh, leverage them uh, when necessary. But you do have to have that delicate balance that, is, that I think is necessary for a company to succeed. I agree. And you've got to know yourself, right? You've got to know – I mean, if you know you really struggle in interviews, then you, you probably need to do everything you can to brush up your interviewing skills. And, and, and don't, just, say, don't just call yourself an introvert. That's correct. That's correct. I would be careful to say, hey, I'm an introvert. I would, right. again, just be, be very prepared. For example, it would, it would make sense for, as you're doing research on the business, to, point your, uh, to put yourself in those situations that this company has probably you know, publicly uh, demonstrated, whether it's a product, whether it's uh, something else around a news release, and say, here's how I could help you there as you continue to evolve the business in this way. Mm. And focus on all of the strengths of introversion. So if you don't use the phrase... I'm a person who thinks deeply. I'm a person whose brain doesn't stop. I'm a person who um, even while I'm sitting there and even while I'm driving home, I'm still thinking about the company. I like the data. I mean, and get into every strength that you know you possess um, that might not come out if you don't verbalize it. I guess that's the thing when I look at an, an extrovert. In an interview, I, I mean, I look at them all the time, and I, my, my kids, too, that are a little more introverted, we all just shake our heads, and we wish so badly we could just go be more out there, you know, and just put ourselves out there in a way. Um, but the, one of the things that they do is they'll just keep talking. They'll just keep you – know, you're like, oh, I wish I could just sell myself that well. You know, that's a really great point, and yet more and more of the articles I read, of the studies and the research that, that have, have been uh, you know, put forth by, whether it's uh, uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, or, 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 uh, or other, other publications, is that companies, um, leaders are looking for people who think critically. They're critical thinkers. They solve problems. They, they collaborate and not yell. And, and this is, these, are, these are strengths of the introverts, that they, they do need to present these in ways uh, in the interview, uh, and certainly once they are hired uh, throughout the course of their career within a certain company, um, they do need to get up and, and talk. But, they, but uh, at the end of the day, if they, if they do come forward and, and help organizations and teams solve problems, they will shine. Mm. And, and as a leader, you, you ought to – if you kind of know your people, then we, maybe we shouldn't leave the meeting till the quiet guy 
has spoken. <laughs> like, well, you know what I mean? And actually redirect the conversation to him. John, we haven't heard from you, but I know you've been thinking deeply about what we're talking about. What's your take? You know, Matt, it's a, it's a great point. In fact, I just literally a couple of uh, onboarding sessions ago, I will meet with all our new hires and our onboarding classes and, and spend an hour with them. I, I now mandate that everybody in the room must ask me at least one question. Hmm. Um, because otherwise, the introverts probably won't. They don't, yeah. And I mean, and two, I, I think it's uh, it's just in your article when you listed all of the the names of Tom Hanks, Steve Martin, you know, Barbara Walters, Courtney Cox, Bill Gates, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, um, uh, Barack Obama, George Bush. Apparently, I mean, these people were they're still introverts, and yet, man, you'd want every one of those on your team. So you got to be great things. You got to know that, right? That's, yeah, they're doing great things. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, yeah, probably you know, obviously the youngest of that of that of that group. Uh, although I guess Emma Watson would be in that. Uh, yeah, in she's that, up. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. I mean, it's not going to stop. Uh, people will remain and and, and uh, always be introverts. It's a matter of identifying who they are, and and they will do great things for you. Do you see in all of your your kind of talent management work? I mean, this is now becoming an it. This is becoming something that, and you you realize that, man, for fifty, I guess for sixty or plus years, businesses haven't even recognized the introvert as a valued part. You know, they they didn't even see it as a difference. It, it was never differentiated. We assumed everyone is exactly the same, just a widget that you just plug into a situation. That's right. And, and, and uh, people do need – leaders need to rethink their teams. They need to rethink their hiring processes. They've really got to pay attention to making sure that when they are interviewing a group of people, uh, that they put everybody in, in a, a familiar uh, – a similar situation where everybody can be, be comfortable versus giving, giving the extroverts uh, uh, basically a head start, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, by putting them in situations that are more comfortable for them. Do you sense that um, – I mean, I guess you also don't want to ha- to have this – you know, eventually have this – I don't know what you'd call it – this brand of being the introvert and have it impact your psyche, even though it's been quietly impacting psyches forever. Um, how do we make sure that we also don't use it as a crutch to not step up and voice and be more of a dynamic force on our team? Well um – that yeah, we can't we can't uh, just give a, a pass to introverts, right? They do have to. I do, right? I've right. got to be able to at some point in time get out there and and do the necessary networking that's important for a CEO to do, uh, and and so um, you, you've just got to as an introvert uh, energize yourself enough, prepare enough. I know. Look, I've talked in front of uh, hundreds of people <clears throat> as a keynote, uh, as a speaker. Uh, I know going on to that stage, if I'm prepared, I'm going to do just fine. If I, for whatever reason, didn't sleep well the night before or I'm rushed because I'm running around from one lane to the other and I've only given myself five minutes to prepare, I know going on I'm not going to do as well. And so I only have myself to blame. And and so I think from an interview perspective, post-interview, once you are hired in team meetings, the better prepared you come, uh, the better opportunities you, you, you give yourself to, in fact, speak up, offer an opinion. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, if you don't do that, then as an introvert, you really do only have yourself to blame. Mm. 
So true, isn't it? That's we, we got to know ourselves and then and stretch ourselves. Learn. There's so many resources now available to teams like you guys offer, and and I mean organizations, solutions, um, tools, technology to help. But there's also there's so much offered to just the individual to make sure that you're not being hindered by your your introversion. Well, that's right. But Matt, if you're on the other foot, that that's a challenge for the extrovert too, right? I right. Mean, uh, generalizing extroverts, uh, some would say they don't know when to be quiet. Um, <laughs> right, learn. They right. don't know when to l- let others speak. And oh, by the way, they're maybe less self-aware, um, mm. and, and because they just think they know it all and, and can do it all. And so there is there is a happy uh, or medium uh, or balance that uh, I think is appropriate. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and and the neat thing again, there's so much learning, and as a leader, to know to go step out, look at your team through more than just their numbers, uh, look at their abilities, their skills, their uh, just their inherent gifts would add so much value, I think, to the entire organization. Uh, agreed. And where the manager can really leverage things that were used in the hiring process, be it a personality assessment or, again, a reference report, if you will, or, or notes from the references that they talk to before making the hiring decision, is they can, they can speak to an introvert uh, 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 in their one-on-ones or certainly during their uh, uh, performance conversations, be they weekly, monthly, or quarterly, uh, and say, look, this is not just my point of view. Yeah. Your personality assessment uh, uh, indicated this. Your references said this. You know this is about yourself, so step up and let's make some corrections. It's great insight. Thank you so much, Ray. Ray Bixler is his name, Chief Executive Officer at SkillSurvey.com. It's a great company. You're going to want to go check out their web- website, SkillSurvey.com. Again, uh, there to help you uh, harness your people and they provide HR technology to uh, maximize your HR services. Interesting stuff. We will take a break, my friends. Come back and uh, we're going to be talking about infomercials. Those funny infomercials you used to laugh about at night. We're getting into it in deep with Caitlin Thomas. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever heard of the Ginsu knives, the Sham Wow, or a Chia Pet? How about those as-seen-on-TV aisles at the grocery store? Ever actually stopped to check out uh, those products? Infomercials have been one of the top-selling markets in the nation for years and years now. And even though we make fun of them, they are still in business and making lots of money for people. Caitlin Thomas is here to help us this morning to talk about infomercials, why we love them, and why they are so successful. Hello, Caitlin. Hello. How are you? Good. Um, I can't stop watching it. No, this isn't that the problem. I'm, I've been watching an infomercial that <laughs> I've been following for years, and every time I watch it, I got to go buy it. Exactly. It's well, that's the, the thing. Hawaii the chair. holidays are coming up. I know. I mean, it's not, it's not Halloween yet, but people no. start. My mom starts shopping for Christmas. You know, in July. Does so, she really? So I just thought what we would debunk this phenomenon, like that it's that that it doesn't work. I mean, it must work well, because it, they keep working. doing it. I actually have his name's Rohit Bagava. He's a business expert. Says that they work because one, they have a story behind them. Yeah, they are always shown to be needed. For an average person's 
right. know, needs in their home. And they also show the product in action, which doesn't happen very often. And so it makes you feel like you're getting the better deal. <laughs> and then they use language that says – that gives you a reason to act now. And they say, you need to act now. And they're pointing at you at the TV and you're like, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah, I do. I didn't even know I needed this, but now I do because – they're persuasive techniques. Right. I mean, we learn about it in, in my communications classes. Yeah. And it's working for the average, you know, stay-at-home American customer. Uh, so, but what's working is they're making us think we need something that we may not need. Like, yeah. my favorite is this, is the Hawaii chair. That, it's a good one. I love it. It's a chair that kind of Moves. gyrates. And it so supposedly it builds your abs while you're sitting while there. While you're sitting at your desk. <laughs> and who doesn't want to build abs while sitting at their desk? Well, it just doesn't look it right. Looks because ridiculous. it looks like someone's got – is just needing to go to the restroom. Well, I mean they're all kind of ridiculous. But, I mean – But talk about the money. The money involved we've got, is I crazy. Mean, the top selling ones. I mean the Thigh Master sold. It made $100 million. Wow. The Sweat into the Oldies video. Yeah. $200 million. The Snuggie, we have that commercial clip actually. It's one of my favorites. There's the, the Snuggie. Snuggie. Here it the is. The blanket that has sleeves. The Snuggie keeps you totally warm and gives you the freedom yeah. to use your hands. Four hundred so you million dollars. Or read a book in total warmth and comfort. Four hundred million. The pet egg foot the foot scrubber. <laughs> Four hundred fifty million. The Showtime rotisserie cooker. Yeah. One point two billion dollars. Okay. Are you kidding? And yeah, now we have the other one, the total gym. This is one of my favorites. Yeah, it's the fastest and most effective way like I've ever music? seen to get into shape I and stay in shape. Total gym. Six to eight minutes a day is all Six it to takes to get minutes. into the best shape of your life. That's and easy. unlike other workouts, it's if not Chuck boring Norris or uses exhausting. It, it's fun you and invigorating. It? You stretch and get your strength training and aerobic Literally. workout all Six at the same time. Oh, of course wow. we want that. Who doesn't want that? I mean, if you could get in total shape. With the total gym in just six to eight minutes, who wouldn't want that? Right. I mean, and then you've got P90X, $300 million in P90X. Oh, that's – People still talk about it. $300 million is all? Is all because – but they buy it once and they don't have to rebuy it. Some no, but I thought people it. were – I thought that would be billions. Oh, here's Proactive. This isn't proactive. This isn't proactive? This is proactive. Um, the secret. Proactive. Yeah, proactive. Yeah, you this think is the I would be one. the most confident person, but the most confident Katie person Perry. still has their moments. Jeez. And a lot of billions my most insecure moments related to my face and to my skin. Wow. Problems. They put I Katie Perry right here, yeah. I mean, you know, next Ab- to my I mouth. I mean, you have Adam Levine, Justin here. Bieber, We're Carrie Underwood. Doing these commercials. That's how, yeah. Listen to the music. Because this, because that would be for, like, acne, right? Right. And so it's really a pharmaceutical being sold as a, as just a, yeah. an infomercial. It's, it's amazing. Crazy, me. crazy. What's your favorite? Well, mine was the Hawaii chair. That's, that's always a favorite. I love the Ginsu knives because they slice and dice and you can. Through cut, metal. You can cut through a can and then you can cut a tomato so so thin that you could read a newspaper through it. Why is Who that doesn't important? want to do that? For, the, for like tomato spectacles or something? Yeah. If I you mean, need some tomato specs. It's crazy the money these people are making. So this holiday season, just watch out. Just don't fall for the don't, trap. If you don't need it, don't buy it. Yeah. I think Confucius said that. Yeah, that was Confucius. If you yeah. don't need it, don't buy it. I am going to go get the GLH hair thing, though. The spray that like colors your bald head? The spray that head. colors your bald head. Because I'm sure it looks like hair. Yeah. It, sure, it's spray paint on your bald spot, but no one's going to notice. No. 
just be smart. Be smart about your shopping. Oh, I mean, you man. could waste hundreds of dollars on these products if you're not careful. Been there, done that. Three payments of nineteen ninety five. Guess what, people? That's still sixty dollars. <laughs> it's still sixty bucks. However, they do the math. It's However still. However, they try and frame. You're still it. getting taken. Just be careful. The Snuggie, I recommend it. Yeah. Well, in fact, nobody has used more Snuggies than Jeff Simpson himself. Jeff loves the Snuggies. Jeff. I am a firm believer that those are a thing of genius. <laughs> also, well, he loves the I mean, four hundred uh, million dollars of genius. Jeff yeah. gets in his Snuggie, does the shake weight, and life is great. And then makes a rotisserie chicken. You, if at you, the same time. You wear the Snuggie while you do the shake weight, and you burn calories like nothing else. Because yeah. you're wrapped up, yeah. and you're warm, and you're sweating, totally. and you're working. No, totally. It's all, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> good job, Caitlin. Thank you for giving us the warning. Don't fall for it, folks, just because it's the just holiday season. Just say no. Just say no. That's what Confucius said. We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap up. Uh, actually, no. We'll start the third hour of the program. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We've got a great program for you. Hour number three of the show. And uh, today we will be talking with Heather Johnson. Uh, who, remember, is our our family expert and is going to walk us through um, some just some of the latest and greatest things we can do with our kids, with our families, making sure that we, we you know, do what we can to be the best parents and hopefully uh, get our kids healthier, happier in, in their lives. Uh, we wanted to mention an initial report um, of an accident with a New Jersey train crash. You may have heard about this on the news. Hundreds have been injured and I think uh, uh, three dead because of the accident, uh, or at least, sorry, at least one dead, hundreds injured in the train crash where a train crashed into a train station in New Jersey. Um, and we're trying to gather some information on that as well. Tragic. Uh, these, uh, you hear about these stories, and as you hear about them, you wonder, oh, hope I didn't know somebody that was... Traveling to work, a major uh, crash. It was in the Hoboken area. At least three people have died now, according to um, Channel 4 in New York, and 100 were hurt, some of them critically, when a New Jersey transit train crashed into the station in Hoboken at the height of Thursday's morning's rush, leaving twisted piles of metal and bricks. And uh, tragic. Tragic. It's just uh, part of living, isn't it? Uh, these train accidents, plane crashes, we hear them, and uh, they take our breath away. Well, we will, we've will. we got a lot to talk about in the show, getting ready for Heather to come on. But we also are going to be visiting with our good friends from BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the program, uh, at the top of this hour. Also, we will be doing our Hero of the Day. Plus, we will be reviewing um, some other quotes from Confucius Day which is is an important day, right? Back in 551 BC, he was born and is now known for multiple famous sayings and quotes, about 500 or so, and has influenced, you know, billions of people in their thinking. So we'll get to all of that, but first to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? 
New Hampshire's ban on voting booth selfies is unconstitutional. A federal appeals court ruled Wednesday upholding a lower court ruling that decided the same. The law originated in 2014 when New Hampshire criminalized voters for taking and sharing photographs of their ballots on social media. In its unanimous ruling, the three-judge panel of the First Circuit Court of Appeals in Boston concluded their ruling with a quote, a picture is worth a thousand words. 26 other states explicitly ban voting booth selfies. The U.S. plans to send roughly 600 more troops to Iraq to further enable local forces in the fight to retake the city of Mosul from the Islamic State, Defense Secretary Ash Carter told reporters Wednesday. The additional troops will join the 4,565 military, military personnel already in Iraq and will assist with training and advising the Iraqi military. For the first time in eight years, OPEC has agreed to cut oil production. The agreement was reached on Wednesday. Oil prices surged more than 5% in reaction. A global glut of oil supply caused oil prices to crash. Over the last two years, Saudi Arabia, the largest oil producer, is expected to give up 350,000 barrels a day, according to senior OPEC source, quoting the final proposal. Other OPEC nations are expected to lower production too, though more details will not be clear until the end of the week. And finally, What's up? you know, I don't know if you noticed, Matt, but I haven't talked about Donald Trump yet. Yes. So this is the only story I will mention because it's a funny one. Okay. So a Washington State Patrol trooper pulled over an alleged carpool violator who had an affixed carpool or cardboard photo of Donald Trump to the passenger seat. Um, trooper Rick Johnson said in a Twitter post, another trooper pulled a vehicle over Tuesday morning on State Route 167 in Auburn when he noticed it was driving in the high occupancy vehicle lane with the Republican presidential candidate as its passenger. So he questioned uh. it and he pulled him over. Um, <laughs> and there's no word if he actually received a citation, but online commenters projected the fine was likely going to be huge. Huge. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Okay. Now, Sadie was so worried about uh, mentioning Donald because we're trying to have a moratorium on the political process right now. We're tired. We're exhausted. And as we learned in a public service announcement last hour, we just need to turn it off. We hear you, folks. We We, hear you. We hear your pain. So we we will turn it off and not mention he who must not be named. Absolutely. Or she who must not be named. Mr. and Mrs. Voldemort. I don't know that we want to... Make it that bad. Thank you, Sadie. Appreciate it. Well done. Of course, we've got uh, we've got a lot um, to cover today, and some of it um, isn't always, uh, you know, it's not always just a, a bed of roses. We're hearing about the tragic plane or the train accident and crash into the Hoboken terminal in New Jersey. Three dead, hundreds injured. It looks like the train took out some of the uh, supports for the roof inside the terminal mm-hmm. and it dropped. The roof collapsed. Tragedy. It's, it really is. It's, as you sit here and we do the show, you, know, you try to find the good in the world. And then usually out of a situation like this, the good comes from all the service, all the heroes that step up and, and help people out of this situation. So our prayers go out to those at the Hoboken uh, Terminal in New Jersey. Transit train accident. Um, other things that we we wanted to talk about today. Again, it is Confucius Day, where we celebrate uh, Confucius, born in China, October eighteenth, five fifty one B.C. No, that was on Wikipedia. So yeah, so you know, as accurate as Wikipedia could be, right? Which is perfectly accurate. Absolutely. Uh, wheresoever you go, go with all your heart. 
Go with all your heart. Mm. It's a great, great advice. Right. Maybe a T-shirt. Maybe a meme. How about a wise lumberjack always has a sharp saw? That's wonderful. Mm. Is that Confucius? Panda. Panda. Oh, Panda. Panda the Chinese yeah. food panda restaurant. Okay. Yeah, they've. Yeah. Con- there's Confucius, and then there's the wise panda. Yeah. Um, and then he also said 22, 46, 13, 8. Are those the lucky numbers? Yes. Excellent. So if you're looking for some lucky numbers, there's a few of them. Apparently from uh, Jeff's last trip to Panda. Great Chinese food and great at identifying lucky numbers. Um, any headlines you need to worry about before we get to the the big <laughs> – the big news today, which is really six weird Guinness World Records. More of a, a consumer warning okay. on a couple items here. Uh, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission has issued a warning about certain top-loading Samsung washing machines. Samsung has had problems with their phones exploding. Right, right. Now they have washing machines that are exploding. Oh, Samsung. Now, it's just a warning. It's a warning. It's not a total recall, yeah. which is a, a movie. But Great movie. It's fine. Um, the agency said it's working with Samsung on a remedy to fix the issue, which apparently affects some units made for March 2011 through April 2016. A woman, as it talks about here in Dallas, or Dallas Georgia, didn't know there was a Dallas no. Georgia, but there's a Dallas Georgia, said she was standing next to the running machine when it exploded in April of 2016. Really? She said it was the loudest sound. Uh, it sounded like a bomb went off near my ear. There were wires and you know nuts and screws and all sorts of parts of the washing machine explode. Wow! And uh, she said she screamed a scream that she didn't know that she could possibly manage, but she did, and you know tried to grab her kid who was nearby as this happened. What they're saying is. Uh, there's a rod, a support rod, in the top-loading Samsung washing machine that is insufficient to hold the tub in place and can become unfastened during the spin cycle. The rod can slide right out, and that's what causes the washing machine to blow apart. Now, it's not all, but there's been enough that they're uh, putting out the warning. Okay, this is why I don't do laundry. Samsung's problems. Why risk it? Another story I found interesting, a Dutch bicycle maker, uh, Van Moof. I love that name. They make high-end bicycles. Van Moof. We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. But they found that they're shipping their bikes and they're getting destroyed in transit, (laughs) right? So they changed the the, the art on the box to be a flat-screen TV. Oh. The the damage during shipping went down 80%. Interesting. So somebody, somebody from the Wall Street Journal ordered a bicycle and was like, "Why is it in a TV box?" And you pull out the bike, and you're like, "Huh, that was weird." But th- what it, what it is is when when people shipping see a TV, they're very careful with it. But Where, when they see a bike box, they just toss it around. I used to work at a major shipping company. Yeah, there's a lot of tossing around of things, and uh, yeah, they said seventy to eighty percent of damage to their bikes and shipping dropped. So we could all use that trick by just well, saying "fragile" and put a picture of a television on our boxes. Right. Just a little advice for all of y'all. Now, this company, their their basic bike is called the Standard. One speed. Yeah. Seven hundred forty-eight dollars. Rip off. Three speed, yeah, is nine forty six, and an eight speed wow. is eleven ninety eight. That's why they had to figure this out. Yeah, they're losing a lot of money. You know what you could do is not buy a bicycle, just buy a big screen television. You could, but I've seen those destroyed too. 
That is such an interesting little trick. So if you needed, if you need to ship something, make it look like it's a television set, and then all of a sudden there won't be any problems. We wanted to talk about uh, another story, six weird new Guinness Book World Records. Sometimes you wonder, what's going on with Guinness? We were thinking anybody can win anything now because there's just the strangest, you know, world records. It used to be you needed a skill or a gift. Not anymore. Now you can just go ahead with the largest afro. Da, 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 afro circus, afro, circus, afro, poke it up, poke it up, poke it up, afro. <laughs> Tyler Wright holds the record with an afro that's 10 inches high, 9 inches wide. That is one big afro. 10 inches high, 9 inches wide per USA Today. The highest llama jump. Even llama. Even llama. Where? A nine-year-old llama named Caspa nabbed this record after leaping three feet, 8.5 inches. That is one high-jumping llama. The longest full-body burn. This is crazy. Austrian stuntman Josef Todling set himself on fire for five minutes and 41 seconds. Not the smartest thing in the world. I, I don't know what... I mean, I'm assuming he had protection on his body. Or he's just a real slow burner. <laughs> Horrible. Hey, uh, most functional gadgets uh, on a cosplay suit. Go, go, gadget oil slay. There's an actual category for Guinness World Records most functional gadgets on a cosplay suit. Whatever. This Batman-inspired suit from Julian Checkley has 23 tricks up its sleeve. He's probably got a batarang. He's probably got all these really cool little bat belt things. How about the fastest escape from a straitjacket underwater? Canada's Lucas Wilson did that feat in just 22.86 seconds. Really? Yeah. It's a useful skill. It's a great skill. There's you, many situations in life where that would be. You never handy. know when you'll be in a straitjacket on the way to the hospital somewhere, and then the next thing you know, you're in a lake. How do you practice that? I don't know, but you better get it right. You yeah. only get one shot. Right. Most bowling balls held simultaneously. Yes, it goes to an American, folks. American Chad McLean recently held 13 bowling hmm. balls at one time, weighing 208 pounds total. Smashing the previous record of nine. Mm. Nine. You know, if we read another half a dozen of these, we will hold the new record for most number of Guinness World Records read in a minute. Should we do it? Should we do it? Let's do it. Nothing but time. That is, that's why I wonder, I mean, like lighting yourself on fire? Who burns the best? crazy and also most functional gadgets on a cosplay suit cosplay suit that's crazy gotta make mama proud mama my belt won my belt won the guinness book of world records good job bat child anyway i don't want to i don't want to talk negatively about it but it just seems like the old guinness book of world records is slipping a bit i am going for the record of the most fist bumps that will be in November. If I can somehow organize everyone in the auditorium that where I'm speaking to follow the rules and do one consecutive fist bump fest. Nailed it! Nailed it! 
Well, uh, good stuff. We will take a break and uh, have Heather Johnson come in. Heather Ann Johnson. She's going to talk to us about activity overload with your kids. Are we just giving them too much to do, overwhelming them, stressing them out? What to do, folks, as parents? How to not get caught up in the overload game? Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. This is the music of uh, <laughs> this is your this is your new music for Heather Ann Johnson. Hadge, we call her. She's America's top family coach. Hadge, you're soaking in it. Thanks, Heather Ann Johnson, for being here. Heather is a uh, she is a coach extraordinaire, a faculty member here at Brigham Young University, where she teaches families, how to be healthier and how to be happier. She has a website, familyvolley.com, volley from the uh, tennis volley, yes, and family from the universal system. From the central unit of society. Exactly. There you go. So, Heather, thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's always good to be here. Now, you were you wanted to talk about the fact that we may be messing our kids up. Yes, again. We overload them. We give them all of these these roles they have to play. They've got to be killer students. They've got to be top of everything, sports, athletes, musicians, yep, we do. until their head blows. It's exactly right. We it, we call it activity overload, and it's a very real thing. We've got our kids in so many things nowadays. We expect them to just do everything. Yeah. Very and young. Why? Why are we so stressed that – do we just think it's all got to be – if we blow it and mess these kids up, by not having them do enough, then they're going to what? Just stay home and live with us forever? <laughs> or heaven forbid, play. Yeah. Have right? a life. Relax, think a be little a bit. Be a child. Yeah, be a kid. Well, there's a lot of – there could be a lot of different reasons. But really, that's where we have to start in evaluating why we actually do it. There's a lot of pressure from society that says if your kids aren't involved in a multitude of things, they're not cool kids. They're, they're just not doing enough. They're not right. reaching their potential. And then there's always also that thought where it comes back to us where we're better parents the more things our children are involved in, right? Which is so sad. Why is there this stigma that, you know, if I'm able to say, yeah, my kid swims and plays the saxophone and does this and does this and does this, that that makes me a better mom. Right. And it doesn't. And so the first thing we really want to do when we're thinking about if our children need to be involved in a lot of things, we need to take a step back and really evaluate the motives for why we're doing it. And oftentimes we'll find that we're doing it more for ourselves than mm-hmm. actually we are for them. Right. right? Even, even that thought, you know, you hear it all the time. Men tend to, to follow this path a little bit more where it's an unfulfilled dream. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, man, I, I was so close to that dream in college. <laughs> I just, I've got to get my kids. Somebody's got to get there for me. Right. And so we push and we push and we push. A lot of that push, too, leads to what we call specialization. And specialization refers to encouraging, forcing, however you want to look at it, our children to choose one activity, choose it very, very young, and that's their activity till death. Just stick you know? to it. Right. And and we've heard it uh, referred to, too, as the 10,000-hour rule, right. right, where a child has to have 10,000 hours in something, and if they don't, they can't become a professional. And so we want mm. our kids to be those things and be successful 
successful. And so, you know, to hit 10,000 hours, we start when they're two. And it's, you know, <laughs> we're so just crazy. We're just making them choose and, and yeah. we're keeping them there. Well, what does a five year old know about what they want? They don't. It seems like you need 10,000 choices, not 10,000 right. hours. <laughs> right. It's exactly right. And so we want to take a step back and just really, really soul search and decide why in the world am I pushing this? Why am I so actively engaged in, in encouraging you to be in a million different things instead of letting them actually play and be yeah. kids and, and evaluate that? That's great. I mean, that, I mean, I guess that's the key is so we don't want to overload them and we also don't want to you know, specialize them very early. Not young, not young. And we'll get to that to where the time is right. Obviously, we want to start making those choices, but we need to wait a little bit. Yeah. And so once we've evaluated our motives, it's important that we establish what our value system is. And I, I'm pretty sure we talk about this probably every time we're together because it really needs to be at the foundation of everything a right. family does. But we have to take a step back and say, okay, what do we believe in as a family, as parents, as a mother, as a father? What is our, our value-based beliefs? If my husband and I believe that we should eat dinner together every single night as a family, yet I have our children, we have our children in so many things that no one's home at dinner, I'm not living my value. I'm not right. living my belief system because it's impossible for us to eat dinner when no one is home to do it. Right, right? right. And so if that is something we believe in and we're not living up to that belief, then we're going to feel that constant strife or turmoil. We're going to feel the, the contention inside ourselves because we're not living the way we hmm. believe we should. And that strife and contention causes a lot of turmoil, not only with ourselves, but in our family inadvertently. And so we have to decide that. The other thing about it is if we're not making that value system happen, it either means we're going against it or it means we actually don't truly believe that it's that uh, important. Yeah. And we need to reevaluate those values. Because you're going to either have guilt right. because of right. it or you're going to have this dissonance because you're not accomplishing it's it. That's exactly right. And so you know, I can profess that dinner is important all day long. But if I'm not going to make time and make sure that it happens because I'm going to overload our kids and they're always gone and always busy mm-hmm. and I'm always carpooling them places, then I must not believe it's that important. And so right. I need to reevaluate those things. Right. And so we're going to start there. You know, so many of the issues that we deal with in our families, unfortunately, it's so quick to say it's our kids' fault. Mm. You guys figure it out. You're causing this. You're doing this. But we've got to come back and realize we're the parents. We're running the show. We're the grown up. And it's <laughs> we are. They're five. And it does need <laughs> to start with us. They're not in control. We need to set that framework and those ground rules and then allow them to find their way in between the framework we've set up. Mm. We've already set up. So we're going to do those things right off the bat. A couple other things that are powerful before we get to some, you know, guidelines is to be really mindful of each individual family member. What tends to happen is when we have a child who specializes or who's very busy, it usually tends to be one kid. And when we find them specializing, it, it takes away one child and a parent from the rest of the family. And the other kids struggle with that mm-hmm. a little bit. We start to see uh, them being alone, parents aren't there, families aren't always together. And on top of that, it really is detrimental to a sibling relationship. And that's not often something we think about as parents. What are we doing each day so that our our children as siblings have an opportunity to build a stronger relationship? Hmm. When they're never together, when they never play, when they're never cooperating, communicating, fighting, solving at home, they don't build that relationship. And the problem with that is not only do they have the experiences while they're younger, but then all of a sudden they grow up and they don't have the foundation of a sibling experience as children to then 
build on to stay strong when they're grown adults. Yeah, where do they belong? It's exactly Who's right. their clan? And they don't have that. And what gets tricky is as soon as we do grow up and now we had spouses and we had our own children and we had our own lifestyles in different parts of the country, if we haven't solidified a strong sibling relationship young and through those teenage years, we, we don't have it when we're old, mm. right? And and so we lose that. Yeah. And it's a great benefit to us, like you said, our clan or our you know, our group who we know is there as our support system, even as we add new members. Well, because those teams – that's funny because they're on teams and if they get specialized, they're on a specialized team right. that will work with each other for years, except that's not family. Right. That team won't be there when this person loses a child in 20 years. That's exactly right. And so we need that. We need – that's why we do have families. That's why you know they are central to our society yeah. because it is our family we hope to go back to. That strength is what does carry us till great death point. for always. So we want to make sure those siblings have an opportunity to build those relationships. When they're always separate, we're not being mindful of that family system and no. that sibling Right. Relationship, so that's okay. really important. So, um, man, so we got to get our values there. We got to make sure we're making time for family yep. and bonding, creating that family relationship. Let's take a break. Let's come back, and then I know you'll get into solutions for what we do to make sure we're not getting caught up in overload and too specialized with our kids. Very specific rules straight ahead with Heather Ann Johnson. You're soaking in it. You're getting all we can give you to uh, create healthier, stronger families. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In it. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us, Heather Ann Johnson, also known as Hadge. You're soaking in it. You're also soaking it in. He- Heather uh, is a faculty member here at Brigham Young University and is, for the last 12 years or more, has been teaching families how to be successful families, how to make time for each other. She has a great website called familyvolley.com. And uh, a book, Family Fun Fridays, is a compilation of the best games and activities you can put together for your family, uh, soon to be releasing Family Fun Mondays through Thursdays, and then the Super Fun Family Fun Saturdays. Yeah, that's that's been soon to be released for a while. Yeah. I should really start You really need to that. get on that. I, I can got... only keep telling that so often. I know. I got to do something It's one about... of those jokes that just never gets old. <laughs> it doesn't. Except for you because you're like, now nah, I got to go right Because I'm like, man, I am way behind, like Blah! six days. Totally. <laughs> so talk to us, Heather. You've been working it over in our heads. We may be overwhelming our kids, overloading them, and then we get them all specialized because we know they need 10,000 hours if they are ever going to be, you know, like Adele. Right. It's exactly right. Or so, Tiger. Or, or Tiger Woods. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Or, yeah. So, so what do we do? What, what, are, what are the rules we should set? Well, we're going to let go of the 10,000-hour rule. Yes. We're going to let it go. Blow it's, it up. It's been there for a long time, and we're going to get rid of it. We're right. not going to worry about that anymore. Yeah. We're going to get rid of that. We're going to realize a couple things. First, we're finding that college coaches prefer children who are more well-rounded instead of specialized. Cool. They are. That's and that's great. a really cool thing to know because our first argument as parents is, well, wait a second. If we don't start them young and if they're not all in – 
they're going to be behind all the other kids. But what we're finding is college coaches prefer a child or now they're teenagers, you know, young adults who are more well-rounded. They want them to have been able to see lots of things and developed their strengths in lots of different future places. Future spouses probably want the same <laughs> things and their future children it's would exactly want parents right. that are more well-rounded. They can do that, right? Yeah. And we see some problems with specialization. It's not just that, but we actually see that kids who specialize much too young, they're more likely to burn out yeah. and quit the activity. Totally. They're also more prone to overuse activities. And so they hit their early 20s and they're the ones that tend to have an overuse injury. Uh-huh. And that injury usually sidelines them, if not game over, gives it up. They're also more likely to be inactive later in life. So they hit their early 30s and a child who was forced to specialize much too young, they don't even want to play anything. Any- well, they're they're how exhausted. Many, how many sports can you even play? So if you don't go pro right. or college, there's only a few sports you and I know of tennis, which is the perfect the sport. sport. It's, it's true. It's it's God's sport. <laughs> and um, lightning is going to strike us both, but that's but okay. it's totally true. <laughs> and that is the sport, though, that you can kind of play forever. But a lot of these, I mean, ba- I know a kid that was so specialized in baseball, and when he was a senior, he was top recruit in mm-hmm. the state. And he quit baseball. And he quit. He'd had enough. He was done. Right? He'd been doing it. Essentially, by the time they reach that point and they're starting a freshman year in college, if they've started at three, four years old, I mean, we're looking yeah. at 17 years of the exact done. same thing. And the devastated person was the father. Right. Or the parents. Right? No, I mean, really, the boy was like, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, again, where we come back to ourselves, right? Why mm. did we start this? Back why are we values. pushing it? Yeah. Why Why do we believe in this so strongly? So we want to recognize that we look at things differently now, and that's a great thing. This knowledge we have is really powerful for us, and so we want to run with it. We also know, you know, the argument is, well, they need all those hours and they need all that time to be the best. But actually what they need is they need to be learning with us at home. Mm. And, you know, we say, yeah, but I learned so many great things. They'll learn time management and they'll learn to cooperate and they'll learn to do these things. Well, guess what? We can learn those same things in our own four walls. Right. And it's just as important. And we can teach them all the way up until it's time for them to make those big choices. Hmm. And at the time and or before they get to that time, we can introduce them to lots of different opportunities so that when they do make the choice, they actually own it because they've seen what else is out yeah. there. Instead of being forced and then recognizing, well, geez, I just spent 17 years playing baseball. What I really wanted to do was play the violin. Right. Why didn't somebody tell me about yeah. the violin 17 years ago? And so let's introduce Introduce them, and that's another really powerful point here. Now, the key to introducing them is still one activity a season. One. Give them one a season. One a season. That's all that they need. They do not need four every single season or all year round. Yeah. One a season. Allow them to try and test different things. Allow them to get their feet wet and get a real taste of opportunities that Hmm. your family can financially, you know, and and obligation-wise support. And then they can make really good sound decisions. That's great. And remember, they're having these experiences as their ability to make good decisions and their maturing is growing. Hmm. And so when they do make the decisions, they're in a whole different game than when they were five and chose it because their glove was pink yeah. and the ball, right? And pink's my favorite color. Oh, yeah. They don't have the mentality to do those things yet. You're like, son, you're not always going to have a pink glove. It's exactly right. It's uh, well, What do you do about the child that maybe wants to quit, um, but they're wanting to quit because emotionally they like, they're just anxious or want to quit, but not necessarily quitting. Be- they might love the sport, but they hate the 
social anxiety that it creates. Sure. So if there's social anxiety issues, one, I always encourage parents to stick with the season they've started. Yeah. Finish what you did. Finish what you did. It doesn't mean you have to continue, but finish what you do. And if it's a social issue, there's different ways that we can start working with our children at home, whether it's role playing, which is a very, it's a very underutilized um, tactic at home we can use where you work through those social situations so they're much more comfortable. Uh, Not only role playing, but taking them early, allowing them to observe other kids, doing all those things. It really just will start the social aspect Mm -hmm. so that they can feel more comfortable. Plus, oftentimes the social is kind of the overriding excuse for them not feeling confident physically in the activity they've taken on. So as you work with them to practice and grow strength in the activity itself, the social then starts to make more sense to them. And that's That's a really great way to do it. We want to make sure we hit this lastly, and those are these are some guidelines for us when it comes to what our kids should be involved in. And I always suggest that you let age be your guide. So here's what this looks like. Children need no more than the number of hours per age per week. Okay. So to explain that, if you have a four-year-old, they don't need any more than four hours of structured activity a week. Therefore, Hmm. an eight-year-old, eight hours of structured activity a week. The rest should be play. And so if you break that down, children under 12 essentially need 80% of their time, their free time. We're not talking about school, right? 80% of that leftover time should be spent in pure play. Play is where they discover, where they create, where they cooperate, where they fight and figure it out, where they figure out what their physical abilities are. So 80% in unstructured, 20% in structured. 13 to 15-year-olds, the recommendation switches to a 50-50 split, 50% in structured, 50% in unstructured activities. And it isn't until our kids hit 16 that we suggest they start to choose a specialization where they spend Mm. 80% of their time focused on one single thing. That's great. And isn't it interesting that 80% yes goes to structured activities, but there's still that 20 that is highly suggested they play. Just relax. Just relax and play. Uh, they also suggest that pickup games, things like that, you know, randomly playing your instrument, that can do more than the structure lesson to where it's, you know, they just grab some kids from the neighborhood and they play basketball. Let it be unstructured. Let mm-hmm. it be by choice with the fun behind it. So those are some really solid That's guidelines. Great. Look at your children. Look at their age. See where they fall. And then see how close you can get to those splits. And you will watch your family in a million ways settle yeah. to this very comfortable place where you start to grow together as a family opposed to feeling like you are just in a rat race oh. to grow these you know, superhumans that, to be honest – very few of us have kids who actually get to no. the professional they level. Just, who get well, and, and honestly, yeah, it's just not going to happen. And then even when they do, it's three years. Right. It's different. And then they still have to go sell insurance. Right. And remember, the key here should be to focus on what creates successful families. Specialization and over, you know, overworking our kids, that does not show links to successful children. Mm. What does show links to successful children are families who eat dinner together, children who are taught to work, children who are taught to manage and maintain their emotions. That runs the gamut That's every it. time we look at kids, right? Uh, developing huge. relationships with them, teaching them a growth mindset that they can work hard. Those things are always linked to successful kids. And allowing not failure. Overload. 
It's exactly right, which comes with that growth mindset, this idea that you can fail and it's not doomsday. You can work harder, refocus, and succeed. So if you want to know where to focus, instead of so much the activity overload, focus on what we do know creates successful children. Put Mm. your energy there. Is there a recommendation for 46-year-old men and the balance (laughs) of fun and – Organized, structured yes, activities. Yes, I, I think you in your life you you have too much structured and not enough fun. I totally agree. <laughs> Will you write a note to my wife? Sure, I can. We need more less structure. <laughs> I'll sign it at the bottom. Yeah. She'll be like, "Yeah, I don't even care about this." <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Heather Johnson, thank you so much. You can find out more at uh, familyvolley.com. Go check out that website and all of the other great uh, insight that she has. You're soaking in it, folks. She's the bomb. We'll take a break. Come right back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody. Everybody's working for the weekend. Great song by Loverboy. Let's go to two Loverboys, just two guys that you just can't get enough of. You just want to hug them and squeeze them and kiss on their little cheeks. Uh, our good friends from BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Sports time, <laughs> which means everybody on BYU TV sports staff is working for the weekend. You guys, are th- tomorrow's your big day. You're, you've got a lot to do. I'm worried about you. Why are you worried about us? Because you already work a lot, and then tomorrow you you go all day and all night till late into the wee hours of the night. And Saturday morning. And Saturday Maybe morning. We show Saturday as well. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? We do it every conference. We, we do the general uh, weekend. conference pregame show. Yeah. At nine at uh, eleven a.m. Eastern time. No. Oh, every, every every Saturday of LDS General Conference. Really? We're stoked for a two-hour show today. By the way. Uh, yeah, you're locked and loaded. It's BYU Basketball Media Day, as well as game day eve for BYU football <sighs> versus Toledo. So we, we have Toledo's head coach, <sighs> Jason Candle. Yeah. It's also women's soccer game day against Santa Clara, West Coast Conference opener. Mm-hmm. So we have Michelle Murphy, Vasconcelos on. Man. And BYU Basketball Media Day, which includes... Dave Rose, Nick Emery, TJ Haas, Eric Mika, and Kyle Davis. Yeah, baby. Bring <laughs> it. Hey, hey, let's go, baby. And then tomorrow we're live from uh, Lavelle Edwards Stadium. ESPN's Adam Amin will join us on set, who's calling the game. And then Saturday morning, we'll recap the Toledo game. Man. Hey, you guys what are you, what are you doing BYU, over the next BYU, 48 hours? If BYU wins, we'll have Kalani Sitake on the show. I was going to go shop for some new jeans. <laughs> okay. Um, Very good. Maybe get my nails done. All right. <laughs> you get your nails did. Did I done did my nails. Yeah. yeah. Hey, remember, guys, by the way, uh, just a little up, I mean, just a little memory trip. Um Last time you guys went to Cougar Stadium, I think the cops pulled you over. Oh, was, yeah, baby. You found out that about us? we did. You yeah. heard about us? Oh, yeah. Stands. Oh, yeah. I, we I, told him. Because we were in the... I, I read the police blotter every day. Yeah. So yeah. much blotter. <laughs> Lots of blotter. Yeah. <laughs> so much blottage. This sounds horrible. Hey, it wouldn't have happened unless but Jerem had to try and punch me in the throat. Listen, so Listen. Really? <sighs> Hey, I you know didn't, what? You didn't have to make the choke signal to me either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I thought that was fair. Hey, you guys, I wanted to ask you um, if you feel like you have election fatigue. 
Uh, is Donald Trump, are they exhausting you, Donald and Hillary? Is it getting to you like it is so many others? No, because we have been so isolated from that in our own little BYU sports world. See, you turn it off. That even, I mean, I have had very little exposure to it because we've been so busy with other stuff. See, yeah. I know people that are breaking out in rashes because of it. Well, they're breaking out in more than rashes. <laughs> that's not a rash. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that's because it's the same thing that BYU fans do, though, too, right? They Some get so caught up in the sports that they get crazy. It, wasn't there a, a fight? Uh, a, a, somebody was pushed to fisticuffs um, fighting over the quarterback. Yes, who should be the starting quarterback? Let's fight about it. Yeah, not a good idea. We fight about it. We just do it with words. See, I, I'm not of the opinion that BYU should change the quarterback, though. You're not of that opinion? No. Well, yeah. What, what was your opinion, Spencer? My opinion of the quarterback situation? Do you think they should change the quarterback? I think they're doing exactly what they need to be doing. See? You guys, today is Confucius Day, and you use your words like Confucius does. You don't <laughs> turn to fisticuffs. i by that. Don't be confused. Oh, you've confused me. <laughs> you you use words, and <laughs> instead of fighting, nobody needs to fight. We could Let's just feel love. Field. That's why that's why sports exist, so you can fight that way. We Everybody to needs engage. something to argue about. I totally agree. I I totally disagree with that statement. Well, you know what? Uh, <laughs> just to quote Confucius: "When anger rises, think of the consequences." I always do. Actually, that's the time when I don't the most. What you don't want done to yourself, do not to others. Oh. Yeah. A little reverse there, huh? Yeah. Maybe if someone else said that. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Do you, guys, do you guys have a favorite Confucius quote? Um, it was that second one you read. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, the first one. Uh, the the, uh, the fourth one yes. you haven't read. One, one that I know you guys live is wheresoever you go, go with all your heart. I like that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, this is actually my favorite. All the crows are calling my name, thought Ka. Oh. <laughs> that, uh, was that Confucius? Did you say Jack Handy? Yeah, oh, no, I didn't oh, say Jack Handy. Confucius. Yeah, no. My bad. I'm yeah. sorry. I know you get them mixed up. Hey, that, hey that's on me. Yeah, yeah, that's... I thought it was Deep Thoughts with Confucius no, yeah. on no. Saturday Night Live. My no, bad. That was Handy. Jack, uh, is it Jack okay. Handy? Uh, Jack Handy. Yes, I believe mine is, why do all kamikaze pilots wear helmets? <laughs> <laughs> deep Thoughts by Confucius? Deep I not. think not. By um, not Confucius. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one. That's a great one. You know, it's always it, when, when you want a good laugh, always bring up a kamikaze joke. <laughs> it's a hundred percent yield of fun. Oh my goodness, that's really good. Hey, um, anything else on your show that we're, we could? I mean, you got soccer, basketball. Today's just—I I didn't realize that because. We don't, you know, usually we have the football coaches on during their media day. Apparently, we haven't reached the level, that same level with basketball yet. Because we, well, didn't, I didn't even know it was media day for basketball. Yeah, we, and we're doing a two hour special. I know. So well, let's maybe give them their due credit. Well, you've covered it all. Maybe that's the deal is they don't need to be on my show. I, I wouldn't mind having their wives on the show. Could I you, bet Cheryl Rose would come on your I'm show. Gonna, I'm going to enjoy it. We're going to ask for Cheryl. Okay. And if you could just ask Dave if that's, you know, what he thinks about that, maybe he could come on with her. We could talk about their marriage. Awesome. A lot of coaches love talking about their marriages. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Any, anything else going on on the show that we want to make sure we hit before I let you go? Oh my goodness, no, we covered it all. Yeah, we've we've covered it all. Hey, did you? If you didn't get a chance to uh, see my dating analogy yesterday, Matt, I, I know that you will appreciate it. Okay, I'm going back. To, I'm, and you know what? Maybe it's on we'll, the YouTube. We're going to cut a clip. We'll cut a clip and use it in the show tomorrow. Dating analogy for the first four games from BYU's offense. <laughs> okay, uh, that's good. Um, I, I was worried about that as you were prepping for that. Yep. And, you okay. gave me some solid, solid advice. Okay. I'm going to go check I, it out. I stuck to uh, the basics and, and kept it clean. Okay, good. And you and it didn't involve any bases. No. Okay, good. Good. All right. Yet it's the basis of a great analogy. <laughs> Thank you, Confucius. <laughs> Thank you, Jack Handy. If all babies are pretty, <laughs> why are there so many ugly people in the world? Yeah, that, that's a comedian. I because you were just doing the voice. What's his name? Chris Rock. Was that Chris Rock? I was not doing Chris Rock right there. (laughs) Um, Okay. Sounded a lot like Chris Rock, but maybe not. Uh, We'll let you go do your show, guys. Knock him dead. Thank you, Matthew. Peace out, yo. Have a busy, busy week. I mean, seriously, they are locked and loaded. I'm sure glad they don't put those all of that work onto us. What if we had to work that much? (laughs) That's funny. Right. That would be horrible. Like, earn your check. Hmm. Hey, uh, we didn't get to this story about a German motorist smashing 15 cars in a parking lot. This is, this is good fun. Fun had by all. A German pensioner, retired man, uh, crashed into 14 cars in a parking lot and caused an estimated 25,000 euros worth of damage to 15 vehicles. Oh, jeez. It's sad. 75-year-old man was taken to the hospital with minor injuries. He suddenly accelerated in a parking lot and smashed... Oh, fuck. Apparently he's driving a truck. This just keeps going. This is real audio from the scene. At what point does the car break... Oh, there we go. Oh, poor guy. He probably really just had... He just had a little episode, a moment, you know. Or maybe he had one of those cars where the accelerators don't work right. And anyway, Tesla, don't make fun of Tesla because that I'm have I'm buying a Tesla. I'm buying a Tesla. All right. Just be careful is all I'm they saying. They self-drive. I can get in, take a nap all the way here. Fit 30 minutes, nap time. Sure. As long as you put on cruise control and. And a helmet. Yeah. Then sleep away. Oh, I'm doing it. Oh, I still want that. Anyway, uh, police said in a report that uh, one of the the. People involved. Her car was so badly damaged that it had to be towed away. And, uh, you know, it's sad. But what do you do? There's just there's just so many stories out there. Uh, interesting story, by by the way, about a bank robbery suspect. Uh, incarceration, you won't believe this, but you might relate to it in some general way. A 70-year-old man accused of robbing a bank in Kansas told investigators he would rather be imprisoned then live with his wife. Court documents say Lawrence John Ripple gave a note to a bank teller in Kansas City on Friday demanding cash and warning that he had a gun. Ripple took the money and went to sit in the lobby where he told the guard he was a guy that they were looking for. Just turned himself in. Officers arrived quickly. An FBI agent wrote in the affidavit that Ripple had earlier been arguing with his wife 
He told investigators he wrote the note in front of his wife, telling her he would rather be in jail than at home with her. Nailed it! Oh boy, did he nail it. He totally nailed it, and now he's in jail. You know, don't ever make fun of your wife. Jail's not better than your wife. I mean, I've, I speak a lot at the Utah State Prison. And uh, I, mean, I guess, I, too, I don't know his wife. That seems kind of rude. Hey, as you know, we like to end a story, end the show on a hero story. And the hero story um, is the uh, first picture of a hero firefighter who averted a school massacre by tackling a teenage gunman until backup arrived. 14-year-old boy was shot and killed uh, his father before driving to school in South Carolina and opening fire with a handgun. He reportedly shouted, I hate my life, and fired shots into the air before turning on two young pupils and a teacher on Wednesday. Volunteer firefighter Jamie Brock was one of the first on the scene, managed to wrestle the boy to the ground until reinforcements arrived. Mr. Brock has been a member of Townville's fire uh, volunteer fire service for more than 30 years. His heroic actions... Uh, in the playground behind Townville Elementary allowed a teacher time to get students inside the building and he, he went out of his way. He risked his life to mitigate this incident. Anderson County Emergency Services Director Taylor Jones said he used enough force to take him to the ground and then he just held the child and uh, until the police could arrive. So there's your hero of the day. And again, a sad story about another child, another person, which is so common in these shootings uh, where it's just people that are they have hard lives. They have difficulty things going on, mental health issues. And uh, so sometimes the hero just has to be the guy that knows how to use enough force to stop the, uh, the situation. But we can always have compassion for the others that are struggling and, and have other problems they're dealing with. A little shout out to all of you, our listeners. We can't do the show without you. We appreciate you being here every Monday through Friday, 9 to noon. We'll be back again tomorrow to give you more information, more ideas and help, positivity help you uh, love longer, lead healthier, stronger lives, and live happier. Until tomorrow, make it a great one and take care of each other. We'll talk again tomorrow.